0: Welcome to another edition of propping you up and I've absolutely butchered the intro here because that's not normally how I started but I want to get this thing going because we got 14 fights to get through. Uh, First and foremost, Cody, what is up my dude? How are you doing? It's been a week. We got 14 fights for this London card. Uh, Where are you at? What's going on?
1: Yeah, dude, I'm coming off a decent effort considering we got that match now by submission, end up being seven to one. That Charles Jordan third round TKO, this close from happening. Jing scores as an underdog. Justin Stolfa scores as an underdog. Uh, Emily DeCote shines the way I think she's going to. And stupid me. God damn, Misha Tate. And then Brian Ortega separates his shoulder. So, uh, dumps to breaks, dumps to bounces. Unfortunately, not always going to get it. Last week's card. Looked rough from a money line perspective. I didn't mind it from a prop perspective. Uh, This week's card, I like it from a money line perspective, being that, yeah, some of the lines are blown up, but I like some of the core favorites, some of the good, you know, core uh, group that we can put on parlays, as well as a lot of these props look nice and juicy as well. So happy to jump into things.
0: Yeah, uh, I was very interested to see the fact that there was uh, over 10 guys that are minus 200 or higher, or I should say 10 fighters, considering Molly McCann is somehow a minus 400 this weekend. But uh, yeah, there's over 10 favorites that have a minus 200 price tag or higher. The last time that we had these many favorites at minus 200 or higher was UFC Austin. And there was five underdogs that ended up uh, pulling off the upset that night. Personally, I think it's going to be above four that pulls off, pull off the upset uh, this weekend. So we'll see how that ends up panning out. Uh, but before we get into the breakdowns, let's quickly just go over a couple of the uh, CloudBet props from this past week. As CloudBet is definitely one of the big sponsors of the show. So we truly appreciate their support with the show. And one of the best things that they do in collaboration with the show, is giving us some great props, you know, out of the ordinary props that you don't normally see on your uh, usual uh, betting website. So let's just bring it up here in terms of seeing how UFC Long Island did in terms of props. So the first one that we had was the over-under submission attempts for Brian Ortega. Didn't even get to get one up just because of all the the the, the shenanigans that happened. So the under two and a half catches there at plus 117. Brian Ortega takedowns. So he managed to land one takedown there. Maybe if he had a little bit more time to work, he probably would have gotten more than two and a half. So the under two and a half cash is at plus 106. uh, Or take it a win by decision. Obviously, no at minus 391. Uh, number of women's fights to go to a decision. It ended up being two, as Lemo Shanda Watterson ended up uh, finishing. Only two of them ended up going to a decision, which was plus 120, which is still much better than had you uh, parlayed them to- together yourself on your own bookie. So. Uh, Cloud bet giving you different ways That you can approach some of these bets Fight of the night ends up going to Matt Dangerous now and Sumer Darji how could You not give it to them after that crazy Second round plus 750 is The price tag on that to win that fight By uh, for that fight to win fight of the night And then lastly fastest finish On the main card dubiously goes to Yaya Rodriguez at plus 1,500. <laughs> Snapping the arm of Brian Rodriguez. Would have been a good bet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Plus 1,500. He gets him out of there. Um, not too bad of a look. All right. Let's not waste any time, Cody. Let's just get right into the thick of things with the card here. We got 14 fights lined up for this early card. Remember, if you guys are on the North American side of things here, noon Eastern start time for the prelims, 9 a.m. Pacific time. First fight kicking off. The card is gonna be uh, ba-ba-ba-ba. why is this not
1: Dolby Claudio? Da- yeah, there crap, we go. Nicholas so
0: Dolby versus Claudio Hannibal Silva. Very interesting fight here between two guys that have been flaky, or at least have been known to be flaky, right? Uh, Claudio Silva, sketchy ass gas tank, he usually starts huffing and puffing come that second round, uh, but it still hasn't resulted in guys going out there and finishing him, right? The last two fights have gone to a decision. Uh, James Cross was obviously... Uh, having some difficulties in terms of putting Claudio Silva away, and then Court McGee as well. Not known to be a finisher, but definitely the better of the cardio between those two guys, which is why he was able to get through that fight the way that he did. Nicholas Stalby a little bit shaky, right? He's minus 250 in this spot, and I don't really have the ultra confidence in him to be able to stay away from that jiu-jitsu game of Claudio Silva. He needs to do it for about six to seven minutes here, and if he can do so, he should be able to just stick and move from the outside and uh, pretty much cruise for the latter half of this fight. I have heard the arguments that you know, Claudio Silva could get his paws on him, drag him to the ground, and maybe just control him for the majority of two rounds to be able to get his own decision victory. But I think that we'll see enough resistance here from Dobby, a better gas tank from Dobby as well, which will allow him to uh, to to cruise to a 50 minute decision here. Just outpoint Claudio Silva on the feet, stuff a couple takedowns, that should be enough for him to get the decision here. From a money line perspective, not too hot on it at minus two fifty, but from a decision prop perspective, Dolby by decision currently sits at plus one fifty. Sign me up for that one, Cody. What about your thoughts here? Are you are you believing in Claudio Silva or do you think that Dolby takes this one as well?
1: Yeah, I'm going to agree as well. I'm just not a big Claudio Silva guy at all. I mean, he's a, he's a generalist. and or Not generalist. He's a specialist in that all he's got is his jiu-jitsu. But it's not as if his jiu-jitsu is world class. It's that he's fought some lower-level guys and he's been able to catch some guys. The whenever Leon Edwards, you can never take that away from the man. But outside of that, it's been really shaky, like you mentioned. Faded him hard his last two fights, was able to cash good tickets on both of them. I see no reason to to divert from that. One thing about Dolby is that his chin doesn't seem to be particularly good. You see that he's been dropped by Darren Till, Zach Cummings, Peter Sabata, Jesse Ronson. The latter one against Jesse Ronson, he gets dropped and then gets submitted. So I am a little bit worried that if Claudio Silva ended up on his back, maybe he would choke him out, but I think he's going to have to hurt him first to get him there. His wrestling's not good enough to take him down clean, his striking's not good enough to hurt him to get him in that position. Therefore, I just don't think he'll be able to use his jiu-jitsu. Same thing happened in the James Krause fight, much smaller fighter. Same thing happened in the, the Court McGee fight. Court McGee's never been submitted, right? So, like, once he gasses out trying, that's going to be all she wrote for him. So, I, I, I got I to gotta go with the train of thought that uh, he's going to tire out and Nicholas Dalby's going to eventually break him down. You mentioned it as well. <clears throat> Nicholas Dolby's not just... Durable enough to outlast Claudio Silva, which pretty much everybody is, is that he's has uh, got good durability, but good third round pace. That fight with Darren Till, he lost the first two rounds, right? Separates his shoulder, puts a beating on him, got a 10-8 third round, got the draw. But even in recent performances, the Daniel Rodriguez fight two fights back, same thing, right? In the third round, he's probably losing. I had him losing. He ended up winning the fight. But Third round, he, he doubles up his output. He throws sixty-seven significant strikes, lands well over thirty of them, you know, starts to put a pace on Daniel Rodriguez and steals it late. So Dolby's not one to quit. He's generally in shape. He's strong enough to, I think, either avoid the takedowns or try to get back up and make him work for that early portion and then take over. So I got Dolby. I got Dolby by decision, by virtue of Claudio Silva is one of these jiu-jitsu guys that'll just flop to his back and kill time. Like he's he's durable enough to survive the fifteen minutes. Dolby's got a minus Ps and Q's, so I think he's gonna fight with like you know, not uh, not a stupid pace, a measured pace. And if he does that, I think he cruises for a 15-minute decision on the scorecard. So, yeah, Dolby by decision is the exact same thing I got.
0: For anybody that likes a little bit of chaos and things, Silva can actually get this fight to the ground and pull off a submission, you're looking at plus 600 for him to win by submission, which isn't that bad of a price tag considering what his chances are to actually winning this fight. All right. Go ahead.
1: No, no. I mean, yeah, absolutely. He's got his last time he submitted somebody clean, right? Because Cole Williams, Williams. That, that one should <laughs> that one really should not count. But let's say it's Danny Roberts. You're looking at he armbar Danny Roberts three years ago. Is in the that was third a round. tap
0: as well. I it, remember it, it is
1: the greasiest fight you have ever seen, dude. It's a classic Danny Roberts fight. It's a classic Claudio Silva fight, but it is greasy. And since then, it's just been like a steady decline. He's a lot older now, so yeah, all reasons to to I think favor Dolby.
0: There you guys go. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got a women's flyweight fight between Mandy Baum and Victoria Leonardo. And we got some immense uh, line movement on this fight throughout fight week. Uh, We had Mandy Baum originally open up as a minus 185 favorite. Today, she sits at minus 120, plus 100 to return on Victoria Leonardo. Uh, Originally, I was thinking that I was going to go with Mandy Baum, and I thought I was going to throw a bomb on her as well. But for some reason, I, I just got her mixed up with a different fighter. And once I started running the tape, I was like, this is probably not the way to go. We should probably just stay away from uh, from Mandy Baum in the spot. And if anything, maybe take a shot on Victoria Leonardo. Now, I get it. Leonardo, not the greatest fighter, but she does things a lot better in terms of a full mixed martial arts game than what Mandy Baum does. Baum, if I'm not mistaken, she had a big win on the TKO circuit before she eventually made it to the UFC. But like a lot of her game has mainly been just striking uh and, and just trying to keep her opponents at distance i think she's going to struggle there honestly because i think that leonardo will make this grindy i think she'll make it dirty she'll be able to mix it up drag this fight to the ground just just make it a full overall mma performance and i think that's going to be enough for her to go out there and get that dub probably grinds this one out over uh 15 minutes leonardo by decision currently sits at plus 180 I, yeah, that that's where I'm leaning for this one. Mandy Baum, she has to keep this fight standing, use her output, use her range, and use her striking, and that should be enough to get her to, uh, to, to win this fight, but I just don't think she'll be able to keep uh, Victoria Leonardo at distance. I'm going Leonardo, Leonardo by decision. What about you, Cody? Did we lose Cody? I think we lost Cody. <laughs> as soon as i it up to him we, we ended up losing cody uh i just want to confirm because i obviously if you guys remember several weeks ago i had those internet issues that uh forced me to be the one with the uh the the issues please let me know that you guys are still watching me live and you guys are actually still seeing me um and it was actually cody the one that I ended up dropping out here i'm sure he'll be back if it is cody yeah there we go <laughs> SD Crusader saying typical Cody. That is not typical Cody. Thank you guys. I appreciate the, the the confirmation that I am still the one here. Uh, but yeah, like I'll, I'll stick on this Leonardo fight until he gets back. But yeah, it, it was one of those spots where I really thought that you know uh bomb would be able to keep the distance and just touch her up from the outside. And the, although she has a pretty big uh reach advantage here, I just don't know if it's gonna be enough to keep Leonardo on the outside. I think some people. Initially, especially the odds makers were low on Leonardo because of her performance against Melissa Gatto last time around. But I think Gatto has shown and proven to us that she is a much better fight than, uh, uh, or she is a much better fighter than what we were expecting going into that Leonardo fight. And we have to give uh, Leonardo the benefit of the doubt that night, right? A lot of people are forgetting her performance against Chelsea Hackett. You know what I mean? Chelsea Hackett was a big favorite on the contender series against Leonardo. Leonardo bites down on the mouthpiece, closes the distance, drags the fight to the ground and uh, ends up getting the win there. I don't think it'll be as easy as that Chelsea Hackett fight seemed to be, but I still think that she'll have the same amount of success. Cody said he'll be back in about five minutes here. I'll just move on to the next fight and then let him jump back in to give his quick thoughts on Leonardo and Bomb. But I'll move on to the next fight. Actually, you know what? Rather than moving on, let's just see what the uh, uh, what the live chat has to say about this fight specifically. Because for timestamp uh, purposes, it's better to just keep these fights together. So uh, my guy SKD has a uh, Mandy Baum or saying calling her Mandy Bum. Uh, Gre- great Son is saying, Leonardo Love, the competition is more impressive. I absolutely agree. Uh, Labyrinth saying, and Mandy Bum is supposed to be good. She's not that great. <laughs> JP said, I thought you had Mandy when you talked to Brandon O. I don't think I did. I-, I remember you know being hot on her at first, but I think I had switched my pick, but I think I switched it in time from when I had spoken to Brandon Olivas. Again, uh, Justin Villegas saying bomb may, may be a bum, but I think female fighters records who have a uh, love for Dragon Ball Z, I think not so good. <laughs> hey, can't go wrong with Dragon Ball Z, right? There we go. We got my guy Cody back.
1: Yeah, sorry. If there was a fight to drop out of, it was uh, Victoria <laughs> Leonardo versus Andy Braun. Listen, I'll just give you the quick thoughts on it. I think yes. if there's a 14 fight card plus a Bellator this weekend. If there's a fight you're gonna pass on. It's that one. I did jump on the Victoria Leonardo a little bit earlier in the week when it was plus money. Simple fact: women's MMA probably gonna be close, relatively competitive. Victoria Leonardo has largely struggled because her whole game plan is try to out physical her opponent, be a little bit stronger, be a little bit grittier. You know, she's a she's one of these plodding coming forward, getting your face type fighters. Unfortunately, they've mastered with. Miranda Maverick twice, right? Erin Blanchfield, Mano Fioro, uh, even her last time out against Melissa Gatto. Melissa Gatto, three years later, looked pretty damn good. So she hasn't been able to use any of that. But against Mandy Bond, I just haven't seen it. You know, former TKO champion up here in Quebec, but uh, limited in that organization, limited in her one appearance for Bellator. And what we saw in her UFC debut against Ariadne Lipsky, she had no physicality, no ability to bring down Lipsky to, to the ground. Lipsky's a very limited wrestler. As far as her stand-up game goes, she had no volume and she spent most of it backing up. So I just think Leonardo's a live dog. And if she is going to cash, she's probably going to cash by decision, which is currently sitting at plus 200. So that's where I would look at.
0: I like it. All right, let's move on to the next fight. We are looking at Jaya Herbert versus Kyle Nelson, uh, fellow Canadian Kyle Nelson, former SCC alum, Kyle Nelson. (laughs) Uh, In terms of odds, we got minus 280 on the hometown favorite here, Jai Herbert, plus 235 on the return for Kyle Nelson. This fight seems pretty easy to break down, right? You got the technique and combinations of Jai Herbert, and then you got the power of Kyle Nelson add into the mix the glass chin of Jai Herbert and Kyle Nelson is definitely one of those guys that has the power that can expose that glass chin which is why I don't mind you know a little bit of a shot on Kyle Nelson to win by knockout currently sitting around plus 500 plus 600 depending on where you're looking at it but I do ultimately think that this is going to be one of those spots where Herbert just gets his punches together stays away from the big bomb and eventually gets Kyle Nelson out of there himself later in this fight so I don't mind the alternate total here of under two and a half at minus 235 or even a parlay piece of the fight doesn't go to decision at minus 300 but i do think herbert's going to come out with his hand race 115 for him to win by tko um you know i wish we were getting a plus money there but i'd rather just take honestly the the under two and a half to cover a potential kyle nelson finish as well so uh official prediction will be herbert herbert by late finish uh again with me saying late as well uh herbert round three is currently sitting at plus one thousand But I do think that uh, Herbert will get this done pretty much any way that he wants. Uh, Cody, before I pass it on over to you, there's a lot of people that I've been hearing that are saying that they believe that Kyle Nelson will have a distinct uh, grappling advantage here, a wrestling advantage. And that's what he could probably expose in the game of Jai Herbert here. Me, I don't think as much as other people, but uh, I think the vast majority of his win condition lies with him finding that chin of Jai Herbert and putting him down. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I have to agree. And I, I don't necessarily think he's some giant power puncher. I mean, when you look at his KO wins, he shows a win over Polo Reyes. Polo was absolutely destroyed to bits and had no chin at that point. And, and he shows a knockout win over Kama Worthy, who's absolutely been destroyed to bits and just doesn't really have a chin to begin with. So uh, he, he does have knockout wins over a couple of notable names, but it's not as if he's gone out there and really broken down a guy that was tough and durable. In terms of him having a grappling advantage, it'd be really hard to tell anybody, look somebody in the eyes with a straight face and tell them that the dude that got submitted by Matt Sales is going to come in with a significant grappling advantage over any man, right? Couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. Not only that, Kyle Nelson's coming off a two-year-long absence, just got married last week. And for the first time in his career, is moving up to 155 pounds. So what? Is his grappling advantage that he never used at 145 suddenly going to be apparent at 155 two years later? And he just can't really get behind that train of thought. He's fallen more into a coaching role at the gym lately. I mean, he's helping a lot of fighters. You'll see him routinely die in diet and Balbita's corner. I mean, he's got other things outside of fighting. He's a strong, good old, thick country boy that can still land on you. And Jai Herbert Shout has out, the Club history Spiel. of... Yeah, shout out Huntsville on I remember I like, go sled in the Muskoka areas, all, the, all that like Huntsville, Hamilton, Beamsville, uh, Stony Creek, uh, Grimsby. And you'd go to like these little like bars and pubs and there'd be like stickers. Like people would put up stickers and put, people would put up posters and you'd be like, I stand with the monster. And it was all about <laughs> him. Like he's like actually quite popular in the sticks. For sure, and listen, he's strong, and he's physical, and he's going to show up in good shape, and he could knock out Jai Herbert, but I'm looking more so at the fact that he's coming off the two-year-long layoff. He's moving up a weight class for the first time. He's not really known for much durability himself, uh, certainly not much of a gas tank. He had some early success against Carlos Diego Ferreira. Of course, that was completely uh, rendered null as soon as he gassed out, right? He did the exact same thing against Matt Sales, and to a much lesser extent, he did the same thing against Billy Q., First round, he was competitive. Second round, he gassed out and took a beating. Third round, like 10 seconds into the round, he topples over because he's, he's tired from that kind of pace. So I think pace will eventually, you know, win out the day. Jay Herbert snaps him lopsided the head with a head kick the way he did to Ilya Tapuri. He probably puts him away. If he drops him the same way he dropped Francis Petrinaldo with that right hand, he probably puts him away. Those guys are tough, durable, savvy veterans of the division. Well, one guy's a prospect, one guy's uh, a veteran. But a guy, both guys are established and durable. Jai Herbert didn't put them away. But in this spot, yeah, I think he snapped something off his head at some point and uh, is able to get the job done. You're also looking at the fact that he's dealing with a six-inch reach advantage. So Jai Herbert's got a nasty long jab, right? And I think he likes to stay on the outside, operate from the outside. it's going to be up to Kyle Nelson to bulldog forward and try to make something happen. MMA, punches chance, anything can happen. I totally understand that. But I would think logically the Jai Herbert by KO prop is uh, the best-looking one here.
0: I like it. Sorry, I, I couldn't hold my laughing because I probably saw one of the greatest comments that I think I've ever seen dropped on a on a live stream. And uh, I'm I'm gonna show it here with my guy Morwith Last uh "Black Country Banger" was my girlfriend's nickname in college. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, there oh, there you go. Uh, she's having like quite a gal. Yeah, I don't know what she's up for these days, but uh, but yeah, good times, great memories.
0: Oh my God, that just slayed me. But uh, yeah, I'm glad we're on the same side here. Uh, you know, fading our fellow countryman Kyle Nelson. It's unfortunate. It will be great to see a Canadian get his hand raised inside the cage. Unfortunately, I think he's outgunned in this spot. Not to mention having to make that trip across the pond and take on a, a, a you know a, a hometown guy in Jai Herbert. Just not a good look to begin with. All right. Let us move on to the next fight. Talk about another countryman, uh, you know, with a big price tag on him. And we got Mohamed Mokayev making his second trip to the octagon, taking on LFA or former LFA flyweight champion, Charles Johnson. Minus 460 on Mokayev, plus 370 to return on Charles Johnson. And Cody, I am in on Charles Johnson here. I am very happy with the price tag that I got on him here. Mokayev, great prospect. You know, he had that undefeated crazy 22 or 23, and zero amateur record comes into the UFC with a bang with that big victory over uh, Cody Durden. However, if you look at the tape or some of the tape that's available out there on him, uh, specifically that Blaine O'Driscoll fight, you'll see once he starts to face resistance, it's going to be a little bit easier to deal with him. Not easier in the sense that like he'll be, you know, a complete fraud and a flop, but I do think that uh, he starts to crumble a little bit once he starts to fa- face a little bit of adversity. I can't say he completely crumbles because he did obviously end up finishing Blaine Driscoll that night. But had that Cody Durden fight gone a little bit longer, I think we would have seen what I'm talking about here. Now, Charles Johnson, clearly the better striker of the two, right? I've seen a bunch of comparisons this week, which I absolutely agree with, with Charles Johnson pretty much being Bobby Green, but with leg kicks and, and, and a kicking ability because he is very... Um, he's very proactive in terms of staying active with his strikes, mainly his kicks. He has a lot of speed as well. He'll definitely have the striking advantage in this fight. It's just, can he keep Mokaev off of him? And from what I've been seeing, I've been impressed with his ability to defensively wrestle and keep opponents from, uh, you know, just getting vast amounts of control time on top of him. His last fight against Carlos Mota for the LFA title was one of the best fights I've seen in a long time, which he ended up capping off with the fifth round TKO victory uh, to retain his title and eventually punching his ticket to the UFC here to take on Mokaev. I, you know... Makayev well, could absolutely win this fight. But should he be winning it at a minus 460 clip? I think that's just crazy. I, I think that's a little bit wild. He might have some early success here. But I think the longer that this fight goes, Charles will likely have more success in terms of nullifying that grappling advantage that Makai will have. And then from there, he should be able to put his punches together, land the more damage. And if the, the London judges aren't really smoking too much, whatever you know devil's lettuce out there uh they should see that the more damaging blows will likely be coming from the underdog here charles johnson so i like charles the other spot that i actually like that i think is being overlooked is the over two and a half which is that even money I see this being a competitive fight that goes the full 15 minutes. I don't think that this is just a walkover spot for mohaev So even if you don't like my Charles Johnson pick, I think you should definitely look into that over two and a half where Mokhaev could potentially win by decision by Al Grapplin Johnson or Johnson just outstrikes Mokhaev on his way to a decision victory as well. So uh, just by connecting the dots, your Johnson by decision is likely what my prediction or final prediction is going to be. And that's currently sitting at plus 800. On the flip side for Makayev, Makayev by decision currently sits at plus 150. Give me the four more, Cody. Give me uh, Charles Johnson by decision. What about yourself?
1: Yeah, I I actually got a lot of the same. Like, I don't know if I got the balls to pull the trigger on the Johnson by decision, but I've got, by de facto of everything you're saying, the over 1.5, minus 190, if you just want to wet your toes Mm -hmm. into the water, but uh, the over 2.5, even money, the flight goes the distance plus 120. I think that Makayev is probably a talented kid. I tried to fade him against Durden; and it clearly didn't work. But I saw all the same things that you're seeing. He's 21 years old. He's young. He's green. His wrestling is not uh, – dude wasn't wrestling in Dagestan at a high level. He come from Russia. He came to the U.K. Imagine being from Dagestan, coming from the, to the U.K. of all places, and being like, you can join that children's youth program. Yeah, he's going to mop up, and he did mop up. He won everything from, like, ages 12 to 17 or something like that. Then he gets into amateur MMA. But at some point, he's going to run into a full-grown man that also knows how to wrestle, and it'll pose some problems for him. He's got okay striking, but people are fooled by the reasons he buys that he just melted a guy with a flying knee. You see that, it looks good, but that's not his style. He's got a Russian Sambo style. It's very chaotic at times because he's trying to close the distance and grab a hold of you to try to take you down. But one thing that you notice with Charles Johnson throughout the majority of his career is Dude, is hard to hold down, man. He can get taken down, but he almost always gets right back up, right? So I think he's going to make Makayev work for it. I tend to think that the judges will favor Makayev's style of consistently shooting takedowns, getting some of them, uh, Johnson back up, fight, place, taste in Las Vegas. Judges are going to look at the fact that, well, no ground and pound, no submission attempts, just some takedowns and some cage control. Maybe they give it for Charles Johnson. In the UK, they tend to go with the hometown guy. Now, he is from Russia. And I guess people are mad at Russians right now, but it's not going to matter. He's actually like a hometown guy. He's been there for a long time. The fans just love him. And he's like inner circle with Patty and, and Meatball Molly McCann. They're all featured on the card. There's a clear narrative here for them. Remember the last time that the UFC went to the UK? What happened with the UK fighters? They cleaned up, cleaned up. And a lot of good matchups for them. When I look at this card, I'm seeing the exact same thing. Now, uh, Jay Herbert has a pretty tailor-made fight for him, right? They're trying to get Dolby a win. He's not a UK guy, but they're they're doing what they're best. But Makayev, they'd like for him to get the win. Now you've seen the same thing Nathaniel Wood. Why are you bringing Charles Rosa out here be a six to one underdog? Or rightfully so six to one underdog to Nathaniel Wood. You see the narrative there. It's just that I think people are buying too much into the Makai of hype right now. 21 years old, still got a long ways to go. So I think Charles Johnson makes it interesting and could win, but my colonies ain't big enough to pull it out straight for him. So I'm just going to look for the fight to go the distance so that if Charles loses, I think the guy's tough enough to last the decision. And if he wins, well, I think he probably wins a decision, right? But either way, I'm covered on the over one and a half, the over two and a half fight goes the distance.
0: Uh, a special prop that CloudBet has dropped for this, just for the show, is of uh, takedowns. I was hoping uh, you are
1: going to say that. And the over. The over.
0: Over one and a half or under one
1: and a half, Cody? 100% over, and I'll tell you why. Because yeah. is obviously going to go and look to train, chain wrestle. So even a simple trip to the ground that you're down for two seconds on a knee and you stand back up is going to count as a takedown. But also, Charles Johnson is a great scrambler. He gets up all the time. He will get taken down. But he will get back up. If they would have set the over under at three and a half, four and a half, I would have been tempted and hitting the over. If it's one and a half, that just seems like something you want to hammer right now.
0: Yeah, it's currently sitting at minus 154 on Cloudbet for anybody interested in that. Uh, yeah, surprised that they only hung it at one and a half, honestly. I thought it would be closer to two and a half. Oh. So, uh, yeah, I definitely got in on that over one and a half as well.
1: If this was a five-round fight, because Charles Johnson's been fighting five-round fights, I'd feel way better about Johnson because he comes alive in four and five, right? But I think in a three-round fight, Makayev will just cling on to him. and It'll be enough for the judges. So I guess we'll see what happens. But for a five-to-one favorite, don't expect to see Makayev at the top of the ticket this week
0: you go all right let's move on to the next right here we got jsp jonathan pierce taking on maquan americani in a featherweight fight in terms of odds we got minus 190 on jonathan pierce plus 160 the return on maquan americani uh interesting fight here right jonathan pierce last time around uh defeats christian rodriguez although somewhat underwhelmingly right like a lot of people expected him to go out there and just punish this kid and possibly even beat him especially considering the size advantage he had over him uh if you guys remember christian rodriguez took the fight on short notice up a weight class but ended up coming up short in that fight jonathan pierce looked to you know not struggle per se in that fight, but it did look like, uh, you know, look a little shady at times for him that night uh, as it, he did look to start to gas a little bit later there. But I think a lot of that had to do with the resistance that he was facing in this Christian Rodriguez kid who I have high hopes for, right? He's finally aligned himself with fight ready down there in Arizona. When he comes back and fights at his natural weight class, I think he has a pretty high future or, or, or a high ceiling, I should say, So I'm not going to take too much away from Jonathan Pierce from that fight. I think and hope that we see Jonathan Pierce of the, the Kai Kamaka fight, right? Where he just puts it on Kamaka and then eventually finishes him. Even Omar Morales, same thing put it on him, eventually finish, his, finish him as well. Maquan Americani, like at this point in time, we know that he's a sub-robust kind of guy, right? You can't really bank on him to go out there and win minutes effectively to go out there and win a decision, and that's why, you know, uh, that that has a large part to do with his cardio as well. The guy does start to slow down later in fights, and I think that if Pierce has his cardio in check as he normally should, he should be fine to go the full 15 minutes here, staying away from that Darce Anaconda series that Maquan likes to, to pull off, just as he did in his last fight. Against Mike Grundy in front of Mike Grundy's dying father, which is probably the the worst that could, was the worst thing that could happen to Mike Grundy that night. But uh Still, still uh, I am on the JSP side here. I don't mind the chalk on him. I think he's the overall better fighter, better striker, better rest. Maybe not better wrestler on paper, but I think overall MMA grappling, I think he has the advantage here. From what I've been hearing, you know, shout out to my guy Brandon Olivas. The, uh, he does his podcast with Santiago DeFranco, who's actually going to be uh, cornering uh, JSP this weekend. One thing that they said they worked on a lot was that that Garson Anaconda uh, submission defense, right? starting off in those positions where they have it locked up and working his way out of it. So hopefully he can bring that confidence into the cage this weekend and fight off any of those Should he face them. And if he's able to do successfully, I think he will be able to take over this fight and beat, uh, Amir Khani. I'm looking at that. Uh, I'll have to pull it up here and I'll lo- look at it while you're breaking down this fight, but that round three slash decision prop for Pierce, I don't think would be a bad spot. Um, for him to win straight up in round three is plus 900. For him to win by decision at plus 240. I'll see what we get when we put those together on FanDuel. But uh, those are the two props that probably stick out to out to me the most here. Uh, what about yourself?
1: yeah honestly dogs really come through here and there so you gotta take a couple flyers and i think i'm gonna take a small flyer here on a mac americani specifically by submission at plus 300 you touched on a lot of it and why you didn't think it was going to happen to jsp but all those same points are why i think it is going to happen to jsp not looking at a mac that simply just has an anaconda choke in his last win he's got three anaconda chokes in his ufc career it's his move he loves snapping up the neck he's able to get you in a front head block position you're in a lot of trouble especially early yeah the first three to five minutes Jonathan Pierce's problem is that he seems to be a bit of a slow starter at times right I mean Joe Lozon got a quick jump on him you've seen guys be able to get a quick jump on him and then he slowly builds down and he breaks them down if you get a quick jump on him and you grab a hold of his neck you're gonna be in trouble now that Christian Rodriguez fight Christian Rodriguez yes he's taking the fight on short notice he's moving up a weight class Jonathan Pierce is a minus 400 favorite over him it wasn't the fact that his notoriously great gas tank let him down. He almost got knocked out at the end of the second. He was completely gassed in the third and almost got knocked out. So gas tank didn't look good in that last fight. His striking defense, it's not very good. Now, Macwan's not a striker, but I'm saying he's not some great striker himself that he's just going to be able to rely on a 15-minute striking game plan to beat Macwan Americani. But beyond that, the most concerning thing is, is when he took down Christian Rodriguez in the first round, He shot his head far to the outside in a sloppy double leg and put himself right into a guillotine choke. Now, Christian Rodriguez latches onto the thing and damn near puts him out. In fact, Christian Rodriguez was credited with three submission attempts in that fight. Now, you were able to pop your head free against some kid taking the fight on a week's notice moving up a weight class, who, by the way, was at a Rufus sport at the time. Fair. Maybe you're going to get out of those spots. Against Mac 1 and especially where he's fresh, not going to happen. Now, how did Mike Grundy get submitted? Not because Makwan and Miracani had to take him down. Because Grundy shot the takedown. So I think that's what's going to happen here. Pierce has a an uncomfortableness to him standing. He'll stand for a little bit, but eventually he's just going to shoot a double leg. When he shoots a double leg, he's going to stick his head into the choke. And I think Makwan and Miracani is just going to lock it up and submit him. If Makwan does not submit him and is forced to stand with him... I would give slight power advantage towards Jonathan Pierce. I would think Jonathan Pierce might be able to walk him down and throw some volume, but look at all of his wins, right? He landed 18 over the course of 15 minutes with Christian Rodriguez. He landed 12 over the course of eight and a half minutes versus Omar Morales. His career high in the UFC versus Kai Kamaka, 51. And that was on the basis of the five takedowns. Mind you, he got him out of the tail end of the second, but... You know, I don't think he's just going to strictly win a striking battle. I think Maquan is just going to spam flimsy kicks and stay to the outside. And because he's the local European fighter and the crowd's going to be behind him, could be enough for the judges. But you kind of mentioned it yourself. You said, oh, JSP is a better wrestler. Well, maybe not on paper, but I think he's a better overall grappler. Yeah, I think Macwan might be a significantly better wrestler than JSP. JSP is not fighting wrestlers. He's fighting Hawaiian Kai Kamaka. He's fighting Omar Morales, who was a career bust. He's fighting Christian Rodriguez, who's taking the fight a short notice up away class and is regarded as a striker. He's taking on Jacob Rose Attlee. Yeah, yeah. Okay, sure. You can take those guys down. MacWan is proven. MacWan has scored takedowns in every single one of his UFC fights other than his debut, which he won by flying knee, and his last fight, which he choked the guy out in under a minute when the guy tried to take him down. But he's taken down everybody. He took down Arnold Allen four times. Jason Knight three times. Shane Burgos three times. Edson Barbosan three times. Kamala Kirk five times. Lerone Murphy, who by the way is a stud, you took him down five times. He wants you down, he's getting you down. And he's taking down good guys. Or as Jonathan Pierce is not taking down good guys. I don't know how you would come to the conclusion he's a better wrestler. And and, and paper, yeah. Okay. Mac 1 actually wrestled at a high level European level. And Jonathan Pierce didn't really have much success on the regional scene. So I think he's just a live underdog. Plus 300 for submission. If you really want to get bold about it, it's plus 500 for round one, Maquan Americani, in case he snatched it up early. And by the way, this is a guy that prefers to snatch it up earlier rather than later. So uh, I think he's live in a couple realms. But yeah, this is all just floater stuff. Like, I'm not, I don't have a whole lot of conviction. I just think um, underdogs are going to come through at some point. I think Maquan's a live one here.
0: Yeah, I do like your argument in regards to Maquan being the better lesser. and I, I agree. He's had the opportunity to show it against these higher-level guys, whereas Jonathan Pierce, like he is landing the six takedowns and five takedowns here and there against lesser competition. Now is the time for him to go out there and start showing it. The reason I bring that topic up on the back end here is Cloudbet obviously has a prop on it as well. <laughs> Cloudbet, most takedowns, minus 154 for Jonathan Pierce, plus 129 for Maquan Amir Khani. You going with the underdog here with that as well?
1: Yeah, Maquan and I, I don't think Jonathan Pierce can take Maquan Amirakwani now. I think they, I think if it was a stand-up battle, maybe he could outstrike him. Maquan's not a great striker. But as I alluded, or as I try to highlight, not like Jonathan Pierce is much of a good striker himself, and he certainly doesn't have much volume. But uh yeah, I think if he shoots, he's getting stuffed. I think if Maquan shoots, he's getting a takedown out of it, right? Even if Maquan was to fade and lose down the stretch, he'll still probably win the fights with three takedowns to one, right? Like, we've seen that happen in a lot of his fights. In fact, Macwan loses all the time. He out-wrestles the guy. He just ends up losing. That could be the case here, but I think more often than not, he's just going to get those takedowns and secure a – well, I think he's going to end up slapping a submission on and catching him, to be perfectly honest. But even if he doesn't, I think the crowd will be hot for him, and a few takedowns here and there, plus some light kick standing here and there, should be enough to grease it out.
0: There you go. All right, let us move on to the next fight. Here we got another big favorite, probably if I'm not mistaken, the biggest favorite on the card. We got Nathaniel Wood coming in at minus five eighty, taking on Charles Rosa, uh, who's coming in at plus four forty. Tough run for Charles Rosa over his last couple of fights. Obviously, uh, in his last uh, four fights, he's one in three right now. Uh, picked up that split decision victory over Justin James. Uh, you know, should not have been that close, but somehow manages to make it close. <clears throat> had me sweating that Charles Rosa ticket that night because I'll pretty much bet anybody against Justin James uh, when he was still in the UFC. But like we said, uh, a little bit of a rough run over his last couple of fights. Uh, the main thing that's been a consistent uh, in the losses of Charles Rosa over his last four ra- losses is the the blueprint of just taking him to the ground and grinding him out on the mat. Right, Bryce Mitchell showcased that to a T. Uh, Derek Minner winning his first decision fight in how long uh being able to control charles rosa on the mat damon jackson rinse and repeat tj brown rinse and repeat charles rosa just can't get anything going from the bottom right long gone are the days where he's able to snatch up that armbar against manny bermuda's off of his back sure He tries to remain active off of his back, but opponents are privy enough that like they know that that's usually his best way to win these fights. So they know the positions to just get into the half guard, the side control, whatever it is, even if they can get to full mount, they'll eventually get to the full mount, but Charles Rosa does a good job in terms of regaining that guard and then attacking with the armbar and then giving up position once again. And it seems to be like a rinse and repeat type of thing there. Um, But he has great submission defense. I'm not expecting Nathaniel Wood to go out there and try to wrestle him and try to get his jujitsu going. So he's going to have to start to rely on his striking. And his striking is probably the advantage he has here over Charles Rosa, but the interesting aspect is him going up in a weight class, right? That's the big narrative around this fight. He's going up a weight class. He's giving up some size here to Charles Rosa. We'll obviously see what they look like once they square off at the ceremonial weigh-ins tomorrow afternoon, but I think that's a big part of this fight that a lot of people are overlooking. They just see Nathaniel Wood. They know he's always the big favorite. They know more often than not that he comes through, whereas Charles Rosa has just been on hard times and the public perception of Charles Rosa is just not the greatest. So they're just like blindly hammering Nathaniel Wood in the spot. Rosa could make this close if this turns out to be a kickboxing match, right? I always say this whenever I break down Charles Rosa fights, whenever he's in that southpaw position, likes to use his karate wonderboy boy style when he's in that orthodox position or stance, I should say. He likes to uh, use his more boxing-heavy approach and use his hands there. Nathaniel Woods, you know, one thing that he always relied on at that lower weight class is that range and that length that he brings to the table. I don't know if he's going to have that here against Charles Rosa and how that may impact him here, especially if Charles Rosa wants to... Get his grappling going, right? What if he's the one that goes out there and tries to land takedowns and just try to make this uh, a gritty fight, a grindy fight? Things can get a little bit shaky. So I, I still do come out on the Nathaniel Wood side. I am just not super high on it here at minus 580, minus 600. I, I like this fight to go to decision, which is currently sitting around minus 190. Uh, and I do end up leaning on the side of Wood by decision. But minus 165. Count me out, Cody. I want nothing to do with this fight. Other than the fight to go to decision, what are your thoughts here?
1: Yeah, I think Nathaniel would likely by decision, same things, but yeah, I I, listen. I think this is an easy fight for him. I think Charles Rosa is on the last fight of his deal. He's currently one in four in his last five fights. He had never lost back to back fights in the UFC, like he had one of those win loss streaks, but unfortunately, that ended in his last time. His last one, he's 35 years old now. They're sending him to the other side of the pond to fight the 28 year old, you know, bright prospect. Like, writing's kind of on the wall for him, but. It's 100% the takedown defense. Dude can't stuff anything. As far as his stand-up goes, like you're saying, he has that classic karate style, and you know he'll throw kicks, and he's actually got a decent left hand. I remember Charles McCarthy was really big on his boxing back in the day. Chainsaw Charlie, shout out. But uh, he's not able to put it together anymore, man. Like The Justin James fight, he got dropped, and I mean dropped hard by Justin yeah. James. I mean, I was sweating it hard because I had a bunch of money on Charles Rosa, but also nobody – Bet on Justin James, other than Justin James himself. Oh man, that was a tough way to lose 25,000 <laughs> and your job. But outside of that win, yeah, he's not showing anything. Derek Minner took him down three times, had like 14 minutes of top control. He couldn't do nothing. Minner's non decision guy, by the way. Damon Jackson, five take tests. TJ Brent, five take tests. Everybody's getting them. He's not able to submit them off his back. It is what it is. It's an easy get out of jail free card. And I think if you're Nathaniel Wood, Nathaniel Woods, all of his wins are when he incorporates his wrestling. He took Andre Yule down twice and spent eight and a half minutes on top of him, beating him up before he really naked choked him. Jose Quinones, he took him down twice. John Dodson, he took John Dodson down once. Impressive. Had two minutes of top control. John Castaneda, he took him down. And then that last fight versus Casey Kinney was the first fight in his last four. He wasn't able to complete a takedown. Well, that's something's not that greasy for him, right? So uh, it was a close fight. He may have won it. He pushed Casey Kinney to his limits. His striking look way better. His boxing combinations are good. Defensively, he's trying to be a little more um, responsible, but uh, yeah, a couple takedowns from Casey Kinney shucked him, right? Now you're coming into this fight. It's like, I've won the vast majority of my fights using my wrestling, using my grappling. I can strike, but taking on a subject guy that's one dimensional, like Charles Rose, like why would you not take the easy path? Why would you not just take the guy down? I'm sure he'll stand up for a little bit, but at some point he's going to have to realize yeah, I'd rather take this fight to the ground. And in 2022, submitting guys off your back very difficult. You would have to be a goddamn wizard. Or you have to be taking on Sumiderji, who doesn't know how to defend a triangle choke. It has to be something like that, or it's probably not going to stick. Charles Rose's grappling is not good enough to submit Nathaniel Wood off his back, I don't believe. As it wasn't good enough to beat you know, any of his last number of opponents, right? He defeated Manny Bermudez, the only guy, with a submission off his back. And Manny Bermuda come in five pounds overweight and got cut right afterwards. So, I mean, it's just things you need to take with a grain of salt at times. I think he gets grounded. I think he gets pounded. I, I think it likely is a decision. And the prop that I'm going to attack here is, in fact, that Nathaniel Wood by decision or the fight goes the distance. But low-key, I think Nathaniel Wood could also take out Charles Rosa. Charles Rosa hasn't taken on a whole lot of power punchers, but he got very badly hurt by Justin James. Of course, he does show the knockout loss to, uh, Shane Burgos once upon a time in the third round, but it's been a lot of like Manny Bermudez is one dimensional wrestler, right? Bryce Mitchell is a, is a power wrestler grappler, right? Uh, Derek Minner is a, is a grappler, power grappler. Justin James is a power wrestler. Damon Jackson is actually making a lot of improvements these days, but I don't even know what you'd really consider him, but more of a grappler and TJ Brown's most definitely more of a grappler. You're not actually taking on anybody that cracks the few times that he has, he's been hurt. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I also wouldn't, like, load up on that Nathaniel Wood by decision and feel too good about it because, like, I had a little feeling deep down that Nathaniel Wood might be able to take him out. And I briefly flirted with the idea of maybe taking that Nathaniel Wood by TKO prop, uh, but the price wasn't good enough. It was, like, plus 350 or something. Like, considering Charles Rose is very durable and Nathaniel Woods never knocked out anybody in the UFC, like, I, I would, need a better, would need a better price on that, right?
0: yeah exactly. for sure that, that that's our, our, honestly the first that I've heard of uh, a take of uh, Nathaniel Wood possibly finishing Charles Rosa. So that's one thing that we usually, you know, give credit to Charles Rosa for is his durability and ability to make it uh, to to the judge's scorecards. But, Against yeah, grapplers. We'll He's got against good grapplers.
1: grappling defense, right? He's got great submission. De- He's never been submitted, right? So that's something part of his game. But even Justin James rocks. Him. This is the stupidest thing I've ever seen. He rocks him and then goes to the ground and tries to arm triangle. It's like, no! I was so never happy. never been submitted, man. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, I was and, so uh, happy that he decided yeah. to do that, considering the
0: money I had on him. But it is what it is. I, right. Ro- I had
1: Rosa yeah. too, but I mean, it's always one of these things I think back for these poor guys. Like, you know, you're, you're in the moment. You've got cash <laughs> riding on. you. He's the underdog. Would have been a huge Payday plus, you probably would have recited a new UFC deal. And uh, it's like you know, every sport is a game of inches, it really is. Yeah. You know, what I mean, football's inches, hockey's inches, basketball's inches, everything has to be close. Like, same thing, you have your decision making skills need to be on the exact point in the exact moment because you make one mistake and you have to pay for it.
0: Yeah, uh, it reminds me of Michael Johnson against Jamie Mularkey a couple weeks ago, right? Rocks him in that first round and decides to just tangle with him on the mat, giving Jamie malarkey a chance to get his wits back about him and just fucks it up is what it is yeah
1: that's exactly it
0: there we go. All right, let us move on to the next fight here. We are looking at Mark the Bone Crusher, DAKC, going up against Demir Hadzovic. In terms of odds, we're looking at minus 360 on Mark D.K.C. and plus 295 on Demir Hadzovic. Now, we were talking about in this last fight, obviously, with Wood and, and Rosa, the easiest way to win this fight is likely to take the fight to the ground. Seems to be the same thing here with uh, Mark D.K.C., especially coming off that 11 takedown performance against Vyacheslav Borshev in his last fight back in March. Uh, if he looks to take that same approach here against uh, Demir Hadzovic, he could probably have the same amount of success, right? Um, uh, it seems like any time that Demir Hadzovic loses a fight, unless he's fighting a guy like Merebek Tyson, who knocks him out three minutes into that fight, uh, takedowns are usually the 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 reason he ends up losing, right? First loss in the UFC. I remember having big money on Alan Patrick that night. Patrick lands nine takedowns, wins that fight by decision. Christos Siagos. Horrible gas tank, but still manages to land six takedowns, grind that fight out, win that fight via decision. Again, Hanato Maicano really only needs one takedown. We saw the the hilarity that ensued after he was able to wrap that up as well. And uh, get that submission, and Demir Hadzvich is like, oh, I want to fight longer, <laughs> or whatever. That he's like, was. he's like, bro, I don't want to fight. He's like, yeah, just yeah. wait. Oh, no, yeah. and it was, it was Anato, Anato's like, I want to fight longer, let's go. And then, yeah, and he's he's like, like, why did you did not you sure me to submit to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Probably one bad. of the best moments in, in UFC. You issue, shouldn't but... have st- I want to fight longer. Why didn't you submit? To me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was dumb to bang. <laughs> they call me Bosnian bummer, <laughs> exactly. And that's exactly what Hadzovich is gonna need to do here, man. He 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 doesn't have crazy technique with his striking, but the guy throws punches and bunches. And usually that should be enough for him to like go out there and overwhelm and outpoint people. But like Mark D.A. Casey's not going to be a fish out of water on the feet. Like, if I'm not mistaken, that was kind of his calling card coming into the UFC. Was his striking, his speed, his flashiness, right? He had all these highlight reel finishes on the regional scene before making it to the UFC. The hype of D.A. Casey has obviously fizzled out to this point in time. But I still think he has a striking... He won't have a clear striking advantage in this fight. But I think it's he'll be able to keep it competitive enough should he not be able to get this fight to the ground. But... I think he'll be able to get this fight to the ground. And I think he'll be able to do it often. And that should be enough for him to go out there, grind this fight out once again, get another dub, add a you know uh, another couple thousand to his paycheck uh, when he goes out there and fights again. D. Casey, by decision, is currently sitting at plus 130. Sign me up for that one, Cody. What are you thinking here? You think Adzvich has a shot at all? Or is D. Casey going to grind this one out again?
1: uh yeah yeah well again but dear casey he could definitely take the path of, of least resistance and go for the wrestling that would be the way to do it my only concern is that the last time he fought right and that's what he did is that he was gonna probably get cut if he didn't get the win there he's on a bad run he's lost three in a row he makes some decent money sorry he had lost two in a row if he loses here you know his prospects are not looking good so so he went out there and he took down because why would I stand in front of this guy the guy loves to bang he's got big kickboxing he's got big power uh why would you stand in front of him so you go with the 11 takedowns if he comes out here in front of a live crowd in the UK and gets excited and says oh you know what I wrestled my last time out this time I want to stand this time I want to strike yeah things not going to go good for him well they probably still will I still think he beats Demir Hansby in a striking battle it's that why why allow the guy to have that puncher's chance why allow that guy to do this and that he just make it a little bit tighter for him. But honestly, for my money's worth, he's got a nice low calf kick. He's got a nice jab. He's got fast strikes. He could be okay striking. Mix, mix in the takedowns. He's going to be money. Demir hadzevic he's limited as he is. But a couple things are not going to go well for him. First and foremost, if you're going to come into a fight with a puncher's chance, you got to hope your opponent potentially is a little bit chinny. Uh, Mark D. Casey might be a few things. Chini, ain't one of them. This guy can like, take a hell of a punch on him. He's very durable. So the, the fact that he might slip up and need a shot here and there. Yeah. I'm not overly concerned about it. The other thing with Demir Hanzovic is yes, he's got the reputation as a big power guy. He's physically shredded. The name's the Bosnian bomber, but he's not actually the biggest KO guy. Really? I mean, he's got a second round TK over Polo Reyes. Not very impressive considering Polo Reyes is not very durable. And it took him almost two full rounds to do so. The other win by KO inside the UFC is against Marcin Held, where he loses the first two rounds by getting taken down. And in the third, Marcin Held, ding, ding, ding. Third round starts, he tries an Imanari roll. Right into the fucking knee to the face. Like, like dog. And I had him bet, of course. Dog, what are you doing? What are you doing? KOs himself. So Hadzivik's KOs are a little bit take with a grain of salt worthy. Um... The other guys have largely been able to stand up to his punches, but the last thing I want to mention, which is to me the money in the back, D. Casey wins saying thing no problem. Is uh, the Yancy Medeiros fight? Demir's last fight. First round, damn, Demir's striking. You know we know the guy can strike, and Yancy's taking a little bit long to get going. First round, Demir Handsovic. The second round, geez, it's close. Demir Handsovic's having moments still. This is close. I think I'm inclined to score the second round for Demir Handsovic. In the third round, Yancy Medeiros must realize, like shit, I might be down here. Shoots first takedown. Easy money, takes him down, starts beating on him. Demir gets up, Yancey Medeiros, second takedown, easy money. He went two for two for takedowns, right? Shot two, got both of them easy, both of them in the third round. He wins the third round on all three judges' scorecards. Unfortunately, he lost the first two rounds on all three judges' scorecards with the striking. He, he didn't shoot quick enough. He should have tried to wrestle earlier. That was to his detriment. But even Yancey Medeiros went two for two on takedowns and got them over Demir. So, Dia Casey's just not going to make that mistake. I think he'll strike long enough until he figures, oh, now's the time to score some points and take him to the ground. And that's what he'll do. So, I got Dia Casey. And as much as I think Dia Casey could finish him, I, I just, yeah, if he's going to go with that wrestling uh, heavy a tactic, it's probably going to be by decision. If it is by decision, plus 165 for Mark Dia Casey. That's the line that I like the most.
0: I love it. I love when we line up on a spot like this. Again, it, he's a minus 300 plus favorite, but still like it seems to be a decent spot. All right, let us move on to the next fight here. We got another lightweight fight. We got Ludovic Klein going up against Mason Jones. Heavy chalk once again on the Mason Jones side. He's sitting at minus 345, plus 285 the return on Ludovic Klein. Another fight that seems pretty easy to to break down, right? You got the volume, the output, the pace, and the pressure of Mason Jones. And then you got that one punch slash kick KO power of Ludovic Klein, unless he wants to go out the Devontae Smith way of things, where he just pushed him up against the cage and pretty much just won that fight based off of control and some pitter patter up against the cage. But I think Mason Jones is crafty enough that he should be able to get out of those spots, dig his underhooks, you know, maybe get his judo going as well, get out of that, uh, those bad positions where it seems like Ludovic Klein is trying to stall the fight and then he can get back to his, pressure style right in terms of like significant strikes we're looking at 6.71 uh strikes landed per minute for mason jones in this spot on the flip side 3.58 for ludovic klein which further proves the you know not a output style from Klein's right from Klein's side he doesn't really throw you know a jab often right it's more so just power 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 he's trying to get that that uh the timing down he's trying to get the accuracy down and that's where he's able to get those big knockouts and those big wins uh i just don't think he's going to be able to get that here against mason jones we've seen mason jones pretty much get run over by a truck in most of his fights still come back and continue to to beat on his opponents right the mike davis fight absolute barn burner david onama fight absolute barn burner but he always comes out uh you know relatively unscathed in terms of not being finished right now, in this spot against Klein, I think if he could just put the pressure on Klein, he can eventually drown him. Similar to the Nate Landwehr style of, of fighting, just just put it on him. Don't don't you know let up. Don't, liber- liber- don't relent. Sorry, I can't get that word out for some reason. Don't relent and uh, eventually finish him later on in this fight. So a couple of spots I do like here. Fight doesn't go to decision, minus 180. Under 2.5, minus 130. Uh, Jones inside the distance Uh, plus 110, and even more specific, Jones by sub at plus 800. I think all of those are great lines. Obviously, on the flip side for Ludovic Klein, if you like him, got to believe the vast majority of his win condition here is for him to win by knockout. That number is currently at plus 600. Give me Jones. Give me Jones inside the distance. Maybe even give me some Jones round three. Let me quickly get what that number is. Uh, Jones round three plus 900. I don't mind any of those spots for the Jones side here. I would definitely be sprinkling that sub prop, though, because I do like that one. What are your thoughts here? Am I giving too much uh, credit to Jones, or you think Klein can uh, pull off the upset?
1: No, listen, as cappers, the only thing we can do is go by what we see, and what you see from Mason Jones is he's relentless. He comes forward. He's a pressure guy. He's got volume. He's got excellent takedown defense. Uh, judo black belt, as you mentioned, and he's full-time at Team Alpha Male now. He's 26 years old, 25 years old. He's only going to continuously getting better. I think the kid's an absolute stud, right? Ludovic Klein does not fight particularly well off his back foot. You can argue he won the Mike Trezano fight, but at the same time, his low spots of that fight was when he was moving backwards. He got backed up the entire time by Trezano. Nate Landwehr did the exact same thing, ruthless aggressiveness. Just come forward, aggression, aggression, aggression. Back this guy up. Eventually, you break him down. Hard to believe that Mason Jones wouldn't exactly do the exact same thing. I mean, he's going to be... And not in front of a hometown crowd, but I mean, close enough. It's like close enough to a hometown fight for him. He's going to have the crowd's energy. He's going to be coming forward. He's going to be looking to scrap. And uh, I did see this a few times. People were like, listen, the guy's durable, but he's very hittable. And what's going to happen when he eats a kick in the face by Ludovic Klein? That's what makes Klein live underdog. And I'm looking at Klein by KO and this and that. It's like, here's the thing. If I had not seen the guy eat a full-on kick to the face before, then maybe <laughs> I'd be concerned. But Mike Davis lit him up. Yeah. Holy shit, man. Everything he threw, he sat on in combinations and finished with a kick to the face. And it's like this kid at no point was like, oh, I need a second to clear the cobwebs. He was just like terminated <laughs> and come at him. Lost the fight, one hell of a battle. And then he broke Alan Patrick, caused him to quit. I poke, whatever. Patrick didn't want the heat no more. In the Onama fight, he wrestled a lot more. Um, but again, you see the fact that he can land eight takedowns and still continuously grind. He's got excellent cardio. He's got good wrestling. He's got good striking. He's got good durability. He's got it all. Klein needs confidence. Klein needs to fight a couple guys, ice them early in the first round, and then get you know get going back mentally. But he's been taking on these rugged guys that are pressure-forward fighters, and he hasn't been going good for him. And I think this is another case of it. The only thing we disagree with here is, is you seem to be a lot more poised to think that Mason Jones finishes him inside the distance. I'm just not all that confident in that. Like, I, I I could see it happening, no doubt, but I could very easily see this thing going the other way as well. Klein looked to do a lot more grappling in his last fight against Devontae Smith. You know, Devontae Smith's a big power puncher, so Klein looked to neutralize him in the clinch. I don't think he's going to be able to press Mason Jones up against the cage wall for 15 minutes, so I don't think that's a viable game plan, but he's probably going to look to slow things down. Jones, meanwhile, is coming off a fight with David Onama where, It was a career high for him in the wrestling department where he really looked to slow things down and and, uh, take the back and, you know, look for submission and neutralize them and kill time off the clock. And like, I just wouldn't want to see a grappling battle go for 15 minutes holding this inside the distance ticket, right?
0: yeah that is the the worry, right? If Klein does have uh, a couple minutes of control time at least stalling this fight and making it a little longer, but i'm I'm hoping that we get that like all energy all offense style from Mason Jones where he's actively looking to just get out of those positions and uh, you know make those minutes into seconds and just uh, you know, really just go with his style. But we'll see. Uh, but I'm glad that we're still on the same side with the Mason Jones. Side of things. All right. That puts a wrap on the prelims here. Shout out to the 200 live viewers. Cody, I really think we found a proper time here for our five o'clock start time. This seems to be when either, you know, the East Coast guys are getting out of work, the the West Coast guys are starting to not give a fuck at work anymore and just start tuning in and watching us. So I think uh we should, as best as we can, stick with this 5 p.m. start time uh as best as possible. Shout out to the 200 guys that we have in here. Make sure you guys hit that like if you haven't already. I quickly took a look at it and we only got about 50 likes and we got 200 viewers the math is not adding up to me so make sure you guys hit that like that is the least you guys can do to show us some support make sure you guys hit that subscribe as well to show the all-star that you guys appreciate us on their channel obviously big shout out as well to BetOnline.ag, which is one of the main sponsors for the show if you guys like betting on mma which is why you guys are watching this uh this podcast you guys are going to make sure that you're on bet online because they usually have the props and odds first for all UFC fights not to mention a bunch of regional MMA which we have a lot of this week Cody right there's KSW there's Invicta last night there's Bellator uh there's Octagon as well which I believe is a Czech Republic uh uh promotion all of that stuff, you can bet online with uh, bet online with betonline.ag. So make sure you guys go check them out. And then obviously, shout out to CloudBet. We've been sprinkling in their props throughout the show. Uh, there is another one that's coming up for this next one. So I won't give them too much shine, as I'll definitely be giving them more shine throughout the show. So let's get right to the main card which starts off in the light heavyweight division. We got the unstoppable, seemingly unstoppable, Berju Paul Craig on a six-fight undefeated streak going up against Volkan Uzdemir. In terms of odds, we're looking at minus 150. Yeah, minus 150 now for uh, Volkan Uzdemir, plus 130, the return on Paul Craig. That line continues to come down on Volkan Uzdemir, and I'm just salivating at the mouth. I personally already pulled the trigger on Volkan Uzdemir at minus 155, as I thought that was already a gift of a line. but people just having that confidence on the Bear drew to go out there and continuously pull off submission after submission, hoping that they continue to slip up like Nikita Krylov did. Probably one of my favorite finishes uh, from Paul Craig is just seeing him, you know, just wait for that opportunity for Krylov to slip up. And as soon as he did, he just sprung like a trap, got that triangle uh, choke, uh, and, and eventually got to Nikita Krylov out of there near the ending of that first round. But Volkan Uzdemir does not, seem like a guy that's going to play these games on the mat like if he knocks him down you'll likely wait for him to get back to his feet and then try to knock him out once again right he's not going to fall for the Fabricio Verdum I'm hurt come try to finish me thing that he did against Fedor Melianenko uh several years ago uh which leads me to believe that he should be able to keep this fight standing he should be able to let his power go he might be able to get the knockout you know, uh, we aren't seeing the the no time the mirror as much as we used to a couple of years ago. But I still think he has enough uh, in terms of dishing out the damage, the better striker, good enough takedown defense. UFC stats has him at 80 percent. But all I need to see is the fact that he stuffed three or four takedown attempts from Magomed on Kalev, as well as eight of nine takedown attempts from Alexander Rakic. Paul Craig does not have better wrestling than those guys. Paul Craig needs to rely on his opponent having a mental slip-up, right? Jamal Hill willingly going to the ground there and getting his arm snapped off. Uh, Nikita Krilov taking it to the ground and try to just ground and pat him through the mat and get that win. Magomed Onkalev, he stayed safe for 14 minutes and 50 seconds before he eventually got uh, choked out there. But to me, Volkan Uzdemir does not seem like a guy that wants to mix it up on the mat at all. Get to his leg-kicking game, get to throwing his hands, eventually find that knockout blow and get... Uh, Paul Craig out of there. So, favorite prop for me has got to be Vulcan by KO which currently sits at plus 130. Uh, fight doesn't go to decision, minus 360. Probably a parlay piece there. Under 2.5, not that bad. Even the under 1.5, I don't mind at minus 108, but I love that money line on Vulcan Uzdemir. I don't think that this is one of those fights where we need to get cute and play a prop. Just take the Vulcan Uzdemir money line and that should be good enough. But if you do want to play a prop, Uzdemir by KO plus 130 Let's fucking go. What about you, Cody? What do you like in here?
1: Yeah, I agree with all your points. I think Volkan Uzdemir he shows eighty percent takedown defense in the UFC, and he's fought some of the best guys. Like he's very difficult to take down. If you're forced to stand with him, he doesn't throw a whole lot of volume, but he's got the power. Now it worked for him early. He was known as No Time Uzdemir, and he was knocking guys out at Misha now at twenty eight seconds, Jimmy Mano at twenty two seconds. He's got that big power, no doubt about it. <clears throat> as you mentioned, uh, well, you know, maybe maybe he got away from those days. I don't think he did. I think it was the fact that Dana Cormier, former world champion. Anthony Smith, t- world title challenger. Dominic Reyes, world title challenger. Ilya Latifi doesn't fit that mold. And, and Lugano's gonna be knocked him out. Alexander Rakic. Rakic is a top five guy and was honestly beating Jan Blachowicz before he just hurt himself recently. Yuri Petroska is the current champion. And Magomed Ankalaev is the future champion. So, like, hey, let him know, Cody. Let he's him know. He literally fought a gamut of top <laughs> guys, man. Um, is he knocking them out? No, perhaps not. Perhaps not. But I think against someone like Paul Craig, yeah, he should be able to find the target. Paul Craig's not known for his wrestling. Even in the uh, last fight at Krylov, he shoots a sloppy takedown. He pops Krylov to a knee, and then Krylov just reverses him and ends up on top. Bad move from Krylov to stay on top. But yeah, don't engage this guy on the ground. Just like you, stuff him. He, uh, he's very hittable target. He's got his hands down. He's looking for that low single leg. He's looking to try to grab an ankle. He's looking to fall onto something. But I think Luz is going to time him. He trains that whatever the hell they call it now, kill cliff FC. Um, But he's got some excellent training partners, good wrestlers, good grapplers. Obviously the game plan is this dude is going to try to pull you on top of him. He will pull guard if he needs to. This is what you need to do to stay out of harm's way. This is what you need to do to neutralize the positions. And this is what you need to do to just get back up. When you do get back up, I think he'll land that shot. So Volkan Newsmere, of course the money line looks good to me too, man, but also the KO prop. I think we're both agreeing with that. And furthermore, is, is Ju Paul Craig going to run around and topple over for five whole minutes? Or do you think maybe Volkan gets him out early in the first? And if he does go out there and get him in the first, you're looking at Volkan me around one at plus 250, mm-hmm. which wasn't a terrible price tag to me because the guy's got big power. He's knocked out better guys than this earlier, uh, all in the first round, sorry. And with Paul Craig, I mean, I think durability is a bit of an issue. You've seen him get hurt. You've seen him come back from getting hurt. But of course, as you mentioned, it's opponents playing into his game. There's enough tape now to know, okay. The floor is lava, <laughs> right? Lava. Don't go to the floor. If you do go to the floor, this is how a triangle is set up. Okay, watch out. Um, yeah, I'm hoping it doesn't go that far. I think Volcan's just going to touch him, <clears throat> touch him up early in the first and then uh, topple him over. So I got pretty much all the exact same things you do here.
0: I love it. And shout out to CloudBell once again. They do have a special prop for this one. I'll pose a question to you, Cody. Not an over-under, but simply put, will Paul Craig complete a takedown? Yeah,
1: I'm leaning towards no. But <laughs> but here's the thing that was crazy with MMA. Because you, you'll see it all the time All in fight match. you would be like, oh, damn, this guy got three takedowns. And you watch the fight, and you're like, those are takedowns? Like, what the hell? Right? Uh you only need to just chip the guy up for two seconds. So like the thing with Paul Craig is that he's going to pull guard. He's going to try to pull you on top of him. He's going to try, he's going to try a bunch of wrestling techniques that wrestlers don't use because they're too risky. Cause in his case, there is not that much risk. What's the worst case that happens? You end up on top of him. That's actually a win for him. So he's going to just go out there and throw himself around and he's strong. He might be able to trip down Volkan for a second, but I just think Maybe he gets a takedown. Maybe he's able to trip him up momentarily and hit it over one and a half takedowns. But uh, yeah, I don't think there's going to be top control provided with those takedowns. Here's another thing worth noting. All of his best moments are not him on top, it's him on his back. So what if he does get a takedown? I don't know. I'm more worried about Volkan getting him down is what I'm more worried about.
0: (laughs) A boof on the beat going, Paul Craig is a Charles Oliveira of light heavyweight. I don't know. That's a, that's a little bit of a stretch. In terms of his jiu-jitsu, sure. And Charles Oliveira actually just gave him some props for you know having some legit jiu-jitsu. But I don't think he has the ceiling of what Charles Oliveira has been able to complete here.
1: Okay, okay. So in the same breath... You're 100% right, but you could also, because, again, you can make this argument, you could be like, dude, Paul Craig has a win over Magman and Kalayev, the future champion, <laughs> and Ian Jaku. Kenny and Jaku's going to end up being okay, man. Give him some time. He's going to figure that out. Jamahal Hill, very conceivable that Jamahal Hill ends up fighting for a world title very soon, right? And a kind of guy that could win a world title, right? So Paul Craig's overachieved a big time. You can't take that away from him, but... There's no doubt in all of these fights, there's moments where you're like, oh, it's going to catch up to him eventually. And you and I are both thinking you're going to catch up to him specifically on Saturday in the afternoon because it's in the
0: UK. Michael McKenna saying Tyson Pedro, Khalil chair and Alonzo Manafield all KO'd Paul Craig. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and Alonzo,
1: you know, three minutes into the first round, Khalil, yeah. Khalil's a bang. I'll give him that. But first round, Tyson Pedro is a grappler. I know he's a big Samoan guy. I know he trains with Tai Tuivasa. Vasa, and he trains with Mark Hunt. But, like, Tyson Pedro is actually not a power puncher by no stretch. And, uh, yeah, he knocks him out in the first round. Not only is he getting knocked out by those guys in the first round, but, of course, uh, a uh, a Mark Smith in the Krylov fight may have stopped it because it's like yeah. he was knocked out in the Krylov fight. He, he goes live, he wakes yeah. back up, and he clings on. And then the thing is is that the dude's Scottish bear Jew brain is, like, programmed to be, like, Factory reset, do, 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 do. triangle choke. It's just like his body naturally just goes, attack the triangle choke. And uh, I've always said it, light heavyweight is a bad division for grappling. So yeah. in his case, he gets away with making mistakes and catching them in grappling. But the same argument was presented when uh, Volkan fought our boy Misha Cherkinov. Dude, Misha's yeah. great on the ground. If Misha gets Volkan down, it's game over. Yeah, here's the thing. You got to get him down first. And in, in between, you're going to get hit. This dude hits pretty heavy, as I alluded to. He fights all the best guys in the world. Maybe he's not knocking out the you know Daniel Cormiers of the world, or the Alexander Rakiches, or the you know Yuri Petroska's or the Dominic Reyes's. But again, I mean, you're, you're fighting the best. That's got to count for something. Now you're taking a significant step down in competition versus a guy that is a fan favorite. Everybody loves him. Name me one person that doesn't like Paul Craig, right? They're obviously not a fan of the game, but uh, there's got to be limitations here. And he's thirty. Five years old 34 uh, years old he yeah is 35 yeah I mean, he's not over the hill by any stretch but i'm just saying like at, at, at some point like the magic's gonna is gonna run out right and, and and i'm thinking it's gonna be sad
0: uh last thing here and then we'll move on to the next fight my guy j dog is asking if we can explain the one and a half takedowns don't you just get a takedown or not why is there a half in regards to the prop that i was talking about for this fight the prop and this one specifically states Will Paul Craig land a takedown? And it's yes or no, both of them being at minus one. And it's just one. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's just Disneyland one takedown, yes or no. And that's how you play it. But usually with the halves, the half is there to, uh, you know, to to go away from any type of draw or or push is what they would call it in betting terms. Right. If you got one takedown and it was set at one, then you just get your money back. Essentially, the half initially or pretty much just allows you to cash on it or not. Right. If it's a one and a half, and you only get one, you lose. If you get two. Well, two is more than one and a half. You'll cash on that and uh, you'll hit that as well. But uh, in regards to this specific property, like I said, yes or no, will Paul Craig let takedown? I'm going no. Seems like my guy Cody is going to go no as well. Uh, And that's at minus 112 on CloudBet. So make sure you guys take advantage of that if you haven't already. All right. Let us move on to the next fight here. We got Hype Train. I never thought I'd be saying this because she's minus 400 now. But Hype Train, Molly Meeple McCann going up against Hannah Goldie. In terms of odds, we currently have minus 410 on Molly McCann, plus 330 to return on Hannah Goldie. Good God, Cody. I I never thought we'd see Molly McCann at minus 400. I don't know what to make of this goddamn line. Sure, she's spinning black elbowed a woman into oblivion last time. She stepped inside the cage. Is that why? Is it because they're fighting in London, or is it because just people think Hannah Goldie is absolute garbage? And you know, I, I don't think she's that bad. She she can throw output on there if she if she can really get her game going. If she yeah. Can, yeah. she doesn't have bad output. Uh, She's a strong woman. Obviously she's working on her BJJ as we obviously saw in her last fight against Emily Whitmire. Um, But even like her IG, like something that you'll notice is her rolling a lot with Jillian Robertson. We obviously know what Jillian Robertson bread and butter is. Um, Mm. So interested to see like if she continues to make those improvements every time she, um, Goes for, uh, you know, if she ends up on her back here. Now, Molly McCann, for some reason, a lot of people expect her to be this like D1 wrestler, especially when she went up against Tyler Santos and ended up being the favorite that night uh, because she went out there and wrestle fucked Deanna Belbita into the ground the fight before that. But we know Belbita doesn't really have a great takedown game, right? Like that's what Molly McCann can exploit. It actually ended up being the complete opposite. As Molly McCann was the one getting ranked all in her next couple fights after that one, she gets taken down five times by Tyler Santos, seven times by Lara Procopio. She does manage to land takedowns against uh, Ji Yun Kim and Leo- Luana Carolina, but those wow. are fights where she can get away with it. She might be able to get Hannah Goldie down, but like, is she going to want to be able to mix it up on the ground and and possibly deal with that again? Maybe a, a newfound love for BJJ from Hannah Goldie off of her back—that is absolutely a potential to, to happen. But I'm not convinced that Molly McCann is going to get extraordinary amount of control time on the mat if she does look to get this fight to the ground and control her there. I think Goldie will keep this competitive in terms of numbers at least, but when it really comes down to it, like she has the cards or or the deck stacked against her here, right? She's fighting in London, the, the crowd is going to go crazy anytime uh, Molly McCann even tickles uh, Hannah Goldie in the spot Uh the, the judges are obviously going to be kind of not biased per se, but they will be biased based on uh, the crowd's reaction to everything that happens here. And then even that forward pressure of Molly McCann, right? She, she, she makes it optically look really good for the judges. Like the Ji Yoon Kim fight, Arguable that Ji-yun Kim was touching her up quite a lot that night and uh, you know, was probably getting more of the damage off. But the fact that Molly McCann continued to move forward and throw those shots and get that output up there, that's why the judges likely were giving it to her. I think Molly McCann wins this fight, but there is no way that I'm comfortable in terms of laying that minus 400 on her, which is why we like to look at props. Her to win by decision, which I think is her best way to win this fight, is minus 165. I'm not really hot on that either. Like, I I want, like, a plus money, especially to back Molly McCann for anything. I would rather take the fight to go to decision, which is currently minus 220, rather than back Molly McCann at at all in this spot. I am trying to find that willpower to pull the trigger on Hannah Goldie in some sort, even if it's like a half unit shot on one of her props. Shout out to FanDuel, one of the props that they have for the double chance props is uh, her to win by submission or decision is at plus 420. I don't mind a little bit of a sprinkle on that in case she does pull off a submission off her back or if she's able to match maybe even exceed the significant strikes that uh, Molly McCann can <clears throat> land there. Before I flip it on over to you, Cody, we do have another special cloud bet prop for this matchup, and it, it is uh, the, the significant strike spread. So the spread is currently set at minus 19.5 for Molly McCann, plus 19.5 for Hannah Goldie. So what first of all, what do you think of that prop? And then ultimately, who do you think ends up winning this fight? And what's your favorite prop on the fight?
1: Well, wow, 20 seems like wide enough because like, I think Molly McCann wins the fight, but 20 still a large, like significant strike differential. I mean, look at Molly McCann's last fight versus Luana Carolina. She outworks her and I think it will be a similar performance in this spot, but she actually got her by 21 specifically. So you'd hit the, you'd hit the differential there, but very close. So they're looking at it to be something similar and I know you don't feel very comfortable with it, but I think Molly McCann absolutely rolls here. Like, I think it's a tailor-made matchup for her. I think she wins the fight standing. I think she wins the fight on the ground. I think she wins the fight if it's greasy because it's in London and they're going to be going crazy for her there. The scorecards will be in her favor. I think outside of a barring a fluke submission, like, again, you know, maybe she got caught by an armbar off her back. That would be the only thing. Outside of that, she's got her gunned here. Like, first and foremost... Um, this will be the biggest thing. This is what's going to be make Molly McCann look like a million bucks come Saturday. Is that if you look at all of her opponents, Luana Carolina had a seven-inch reach advantage over Jay Young Kim, ten-inch ten reach advantage. Laura Procopio five, Taylor Santos six, Diana beta six, Ariana Lipsky six. Everybody's had a significant reach advantage over her. No, not in this case. Hannah Goldie has a one-inch reach less, sixty-one. 61 versus 62. Molly McCann at no point has ever fought somebody her own size. She's always punching up against tall opponents. She has to break the guard. She has to come through. She whiffs and misses on a ton of punches because of that. But now it's not going to be the case. She's going to walk forward and she's going to absolutely box her up. If you look at numbers, she's very proven in the number department. 85 against Luana Carolina, and that's including a fact that she knocked her on the third. But uh, 127 against Jeon Kim. 113 against Diana Balbido, 108 versus Ariana Lipsky, 107 versus Priscilla Cachuera. Volume, not an issue for Mo- not an issue for Molly McCann the slightest bit. We know she's gonna be okay there. Her losses, she's getting taken down. Laura Procopio took her down seven times. Taylor Santos five times. Jillian Robertson twice, once upon a time. So, so if you stand with her, she's gonna get a ton of volume. The way to neutralize that is to take her down. Hannah Goldie does not have the wrestling to take her down. Therefore, she would be forced to stand with her. And you mentioned you thought Hannah Goldie had the kind of volume to keep pace. I don't think she does. She did in the Cali Robbins fight on the Contender Series, which she landed a ton. Take that fight out of it and rewatch it. It's not like anything significant. But but rewatch what she's done in the UFC. And more specifically, she lands 55 against Miranda Granger, right? Is not unable to close the distance. Is unable to break her. No volume slight is bit. Not a good fight. The Diana Balbita fight. Very interesting. Diana Balbita soundly outscores her, okay? Uh, in the first round, drops her, right? Like, floors her with a left hand. In the third round, rocks her standing. She's covering up against the cage. Like, Balbita put a beating on her. Outlands her 117-92, uh, including a knockdown in the mix. <clears throat> this is the same job D- Diana Balbita that got, you know, taken down and, and run through, essentially, by Molly McCann. Like, I, I, she, where was the pace there? She got outpaced, and she got hurt. And then the Emily Whitmire fight, you know, I know her as Emily Schitmeyer. Our boy Brady DFS calls her Emily Quitmeyer. Uh, mm. in both scenarios, it ain't flattering. Like Whitmeyer got two easy judo takedowns. Like they were easy money takedowns, and then sits up in guard and gets armbar. Unfortunately, that's a crappy part. You know, it happens. Women's MMA armbar from guard gonna happen. I believe Whitmire no longer with the promotion for a clear reason, right? I think when you look at Molly McCann, she keeps the fight standing. She's going to box her up. She's going to be putting up the volume. She's going to be coming forward. She's not getting clipped by anything. She's not getting knocked out by Hannah Goldie. Uh, Gold Schmidt, for the record, is the real name. But uh, she's not getting knocked out by her. And as far as her getting taken down, I don't think it's happening. As far as her getting taken down and getting armbar, I still think it's a very low probability. She wins this fight all over. I think she puts, a, she puts it to her. I get similar feelings to last week's Emily Ducote versus Jessica Panay fight where it's like, where does Jessica Panay possibly win this fight? Well, the same way that, that Hannah Goldie would. Well, maybe if she's on her back, she can throw up an armbar. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. What's going to happen is she's going to get boxed up and she's going to go 0 for 7 on her takedown attempts and that's going to be the story of the fight. Um, but whereas I'd love to hammer at Molly McCann by decision... I got like a nagging suspicion Molly McCann could take her out. She's going to be going 110 miles an hour. She's fighting in front of her UK hometown or her Omaha audience. And this girl just fights reckless anyways. You saw in the Luana Carolina fight, she still throws big back elbows and stuff into the third round. Like she's actively pursuing the finish from start to finish. And when you look at Hannah Goldie, Hannah Goldie hasn't exactly fought a whole lot of like upper echelon fighters. Like Diana Belbita rocked her twice, dropped her and rocked her. And Belbita doesn't have any knockout wins in the UFC level, right? Miranda Granger's beat her by decision. That's low level. And Granger has had zero success at an upper echelon level. Like she's got nothing on her resume that would suggest that she's got good durability and a good chin. She really does. And I think if Molly McCann continuously to, to find the target, and come forward, she's gonna actually probably force a late third round stoppage. So real greasy like what's what's Molly McCann third round stoppage, which by the way, she's coming off of one, but what would it be in
0: this fight? McCann round three is currently sitting at plus
1: fourteen hundred. <laughs> oh me likey. Okay, yeah, all right, all right. I I think I'm gonna take I, I'm no I'm taking Molly McCann. I don't love a specific prop on this one but a plus 1400 and a third round TKO, like something like that might be worth a bit of a sprinkle. I could also see the decision. 100% I could see the decision. It's like a a deep feeling in the pit of my stomach where it's like, uh, you know, Charles Rose is very durable. So you don't see him getting knocked out, but it's like, I can see the path to Nathaniel Wood taking him out. You can certain, a lot of guys are known for durability. A lot of guys are not known for their punching power, but you can capitalize there. We, you and I capitalize on that Ilya Deporia Damon Jackson by knockout. Yeah. Ilya Deporia has no knockouts, but like, he can bang and Damon Jackson is not exactly the most durable guy going like certain times it just lines up. This might be one of those times.
0: There you guys go. Uh, a little bit of uh, dissension in regards to how me and Cody are breaking this one down. But I-, I think we both agree that Molly should win this fight. I think the line is just a little bit too crazy at this point in time. All right, let us move on to the next fight. We got four fights left on this 14 fight card. Next of which is another light heavyweight fight. We got the return of the Mauler, Alexander Gustafson. He's going up against Nikita Krilov. In terms of odds, we're looking at minus two oh five for Krilov, plus one seventy-five the return on Alexander Gustafson. I was going back and forth a lot about this fight earlier this week. Um you know, I I did a show with my guy, Brandon Olivas, and on that show, I was very hesitant about picking a side. I ended up picking up the Krilov side. And, you know, after doing a little bit more work, I ended up flip-flopping to the to Alexander Gustafsson side, right? It, it's just so tough because we just don't know what kind of Gustafsson we're truly going to get. Sure, we can look at his Instagram and see that he's in phenomenal fucking shape, working with, uh, you know, Volkan Uzdemir, working with Hamza have all those guys over at uh, the, the All-Star Gym in, in Sweden. And I really felt like the big thing here for him is the fact that he's going to have to stay as disciplined as he needs to to make 205 pounds, right? He had a little bit of a spare tire in that fight against uh, uh, Fabrizio Verdum when he went up to to uh, two heavyweight uh, and ended up losing that fight. But it was a fight where it looked like he was really just trying to get himself going. He just kept bouncing around and just was waiting for that groove to eventually hit. To me, it didn't look like it ended up hitting. And before he knew it, he made one minor slip up. Fabricio Verdum ends up getting his back and then eventually getting that armbar and getting him out of there. But, like, Gustafson has been fighting at a pretty high level over, over his last several fights, and we got to continuously, like, remind ourselves to to look at that, to be like, okay, he might be washed, and a lot of people's last image of him is getting submitted by Fabricio Verdum, but, like... He lost to Anthony Smith before that, fourth round submission loss there. But like that was a somewhat competitive fight. He lost the first two rounds, but he did win that third round, but ended up uh, you know, giving it up in that fourth round and losing to, to to Smith there, like I said, via rear naked choke. But even the fight before that, it was only three fights ago that he fought John Jones, right? He just hasn't been that active. That's the main issue here. Krilov is the perfect barometer to let us know where Gustafson is still at. Right. Krilov is that guy that's like that middling top 10 guy in a sense that he's likely will never get past that top 10 mark, but he'll probably just stay just hovering around that spot. If Gustafson can't get past that kind of guy, then I'm officially down to write him off and be like, all right, he's past his prime. He's past his time. He's at 35 years old, with which me and you, Cody, know, like at light heavyweight and heavyweight, you can get away with being in your mid 30s and your late 30s. This is the spot where Gustafsson needs to show that he still has what it takes to compete at a high level. If he can't get past this one, I think he should truly hang up the gloves. But I think his his footwork, if he can even get 70% of it back of what he used to, he should be able to work well here. His takedown defense should be able to hold up against this newfound game plan that Krilov seems to have, which is take guys to the ground and just smother them, even if their name is fucking Paul Craig, and that is the only way Paul Craig can win. That's the way that Krylov looks to take his fights now. If he can land multiple takedowns against Gustafson and control him, he should win this fight. But I think Gustafson will do a good enough job with his takedown defense and then just use his footwork, use his combinations to get the better of Krylov. I wouldn't even be surprised if he lands a big shot to put Krylov down and out. But I do think he can do enough to, you know, dance his way to a victory here, outpointing Krylov from the outside, winning via decision at plus 400. I don't mind that. I, for me, this is more so just a. Sit back and watch what kind of mauler we're getting. Sit back and watch what kind of Gustafson we're getting so that we can bet him or bet against him if he continues his uh, fighting career after Saturday night. So I'll go Gustafson, Gustafson by decision. What about yourself? Am I am I giving Gustafson the benefit of the doubt too much here?
1: Well, listen, we got to jump into the unknown because we just don't know. The guy's been off for a while. He's coming back down to light heavyweight. He's been injured. He's been, you know, this and that. But he's only 35 years old for a, a light heavyweight. It's not you know, super old. It's not as if you're, you know, a 35-year-old flyweight or bantamweight where speeds everything. Like, I don't think he's completely shopworn. It's that the amount of damage he's had. Like, he's had wars in the octagon. The first fight with John Jones, the fight with Daniel Cormier, you know, the knockout loss to Anthony Johnson, which definitely took something out of him. Because it was like a double knockout. He got headbutted and then got KO'd. So it was like, oof. Um, yeah, I think maybe he, some time off would probably be good for him, you know, refresh the batteries. But this is all just speculation. Like, what he's he been up to? But here's my theory. It's more theory than anything else. If you're Anthony, if you're uh, Alexander Gustafson, he ends up taking a little bit of time off. He loses to Anthony Smith. The Anthony Smith fight, he loses the first two rounds. Second round, he doesn't look terrible, but he lost the first two rounds, and then he wins the third round. He actually looked quite good in the third, and then ended up getting submitted in the fourth. After that, he specifically worked a lot on his grappling. I mean, he's been competing at jiu jitsu tournaments. Um, he's been, he asked for the Fabrizio Verdum fight specifically because he thought he could grapple with him. Turns out he couldn't. But even in his time away, he's been grappling a lot. Now he's working with, and you mentioned it earlier, out Chamaev. And they've been working together a while, for about a year now. Like, I think wrestling and grappling is probably going to be an element of his game. Gus was never really a forward pressure striker. You know, he moves extremely well laterally, allows you to come forward, tries to intercept you and counter punch. And yeah, he's had success. He doesn't show a whole lot of wins lately, but his last two wins are over Glover and Jan, the champion and former champion. So you mentioned it. He, he fights at a high level. Maybe we can give him a bit of a break. The way I see it going with Nikita Krylov is I think Alexander Gustafson's durable enough to not get KO'd in the first round by Krylov and to not get submitted in the first round by Krylov. And then the longer that he can push this fight, I think it plays out towards him. He's big, he's strong, he's physical. He's been working a lot on his wrestling and his grappling. Whereas you can't use it against a heavyweight Fabricio over Doom, he could actually make very good use of it against Nikita Krylov. Krylov's a fine talent. His problem is that he's bang or bust with his finishes. He either beats you by finish, all of them, you know, this... And Herman, Stefan Bakic, Meryl Parak, Emmanuel Newton, Fabio Maldonado, Ovin St. prue they're all quick finishes, right? Look at the fights that stretch beyond that. He gassed out versus Jan Blakovic. He got submitted. He gassed out versus Glover Teixeira, got taken down in the third round, got beat handily in the third round. The Magomed-Ankoliyev fight. Ankalaev played with his food in the first, decides in the second and the third just to take him down, and puts a beating on him, especially in the third round, where it's like Krylov had nowhere to go. The Paul Craig fight. He started off awesome. Did he just get caught clean in a triangle? Or did he punch himself out three and a half minutes into that fight by trying to take Paul Craig out? I think a bit of both, to be perfectly honest with you. Cardio's not that good. He's a fast starter. So I think against Gus, he'll probably have a fast start. He'll come out. He'll look to set up some head kicks, which, by the way, are not very hard, uh, easy on a guy that's six foot five like Alexander Gustafson, guy that moves laterally, guy that's moving around. It's going to be hard to find the target. But at some point, Karlov's either going to tire, get lazy, or make a mistake. I think Gustafson's going to take him down. When he does get on top, probably just coasts for a decision. Could hit a submission, could, but I'm not that greasy. If I'm going to hit an underdog pick, I'd rather just hit the money line. This is a prop show, so maybe that Gustafson by decision. But like, if you want to get greasy with it and have like some, because I'm sure the prop would have would have to be huge to even consider it. But, uh, but yeah, Krylov I think is going to be spending time on his back and he's going to tire out.
0: I like it. I like the, the, the conviction there as well, too. All right. Let us move on to the next fight here where we're going to be looking at a uh, welter... Or no, sorry. It is a, a lightweight fight. Sorry. Uh, big hype train coming through here. We got Patty the Batty Pimlet taking on Jordan Levitt. In terms of odds, we're looking at minus 255 for Patty Pimlet, plus 215 for Jordan Levitt. Interesting fight in regards to, uh, you know, Patty just getting his way in terms of the matchmaking, right? I remember once upon a time he had a matchup uh, that was supposed to come to fruition with Jared Gordon, and uh, quickly thereafter they're just like, nah, let's let's move on. Let's get Jordan Levitt. Or, or actually, I think it was Kazula Vargas that stepped in. Eventually, that was back in March. Obviously, he gets a big win there, and now he's getting Jordan Levitt. Where I'm just trying to figure out where the hell Jordan Levitt, you know, wins this fight other than his jiu-jitsu? But like, it's not like he has a great wrestling game. It's not like he has a great striking game. His striking game is pretty much just throwing it out there to remain active and put some output like he did in the Trey Ogden fight. But at the end of the day, it's him wanting to get the fight to the ground and him using his jiu-jitsu as best as possible. But I think we'll see Patty just show disrespect to him in regards to like just not really giving him any respect in terms of his punching power, you know, wait forward. Blitz for throw some big shots, try to get the crowd hype again with the big finish. I think he finishes Jordan Levin with relative ease in this spot, man. Like, I, I'm not a big Patty guy. I've been looking for an opportunity to fade Patty because I, I feel at a certain point we always get hype and it affects the odds. And Patty is definitely one of those guys where it affects the odds. But this is just not one of those spots where I think people should be fading Patty. It is like a legitimate setup spot as most matchups on this card are, but this one could not be more clear. Like what does Jordan Levert bring to the table? That's going to give Patty trouble. Yes. Jiu-Jitsu. But if he can't get into the Jiu-Jitsu realm, how much success are you truly going to have? You know, Patty has shown some flaws in his first couple UFC fights, but he's always managed to battle through it, come back and eventually get his hand raised. And I think that's what we could see here where you know, maybe he doesn't face the adversity. Maybe he just wades forward and just gets that big knockout. I expect him to get. So in terms of props, that's probably, you know, parlaying Patty, Go ahead. I don't mind that. I think he wins. I think he wins at a pretty high clip in this specific matchup. But in terms of props, like, I think you can get in on Patty by KO plus 200. Patty round one plus 200. I think those are good spots. Maybe even Patty round one KO. That's currently sitting around plus 550 on certain spots. I don't know which other way you could take it, right? I guess the only way that's leave it wins submission, that's sitting at plus 600. Even that, I would need a much better uh, price tag to take a little bit of a sprinkle on it. So Patty the Batty gets it done once again in front of his fellow countrymen. Crowd goes into a ruckus once again. Yeah, I just can't wait to, for him to face like guys that will give him a legitimate test. Sure, Patty, go out there, get your experience inside the cage, get your experience inside of sold out crowds like that. But at a certain point, you're going to start taking levels up in competition. Shout out to Sugar Shot O'Malley, who's jumping into the deep end of the pool here by taking out Piotr Jan, after taking out Pedro Munoz before that. I'm waiting for that moment for Paddy Pimblet. and he has to set him up so and set himself up for that. I'm going Paddy. Paddy first strong KO. What about yourself?
1: Yeah, I got Paddy winning everywhere. Like uh, him, him and Molly McCann have been kind of the uh, the featured thing for the UFC that they're trying to promote, and I think they both got tailor-made matchups, and they're both there to look like a million bucks, and I struggled to find passive victories for both of their opponents. Jordan Leavitt, like you said, maybe the jiu-jitsu, but is he going to submit Paddy Pimlet off his back? Like, how He's a good grappler. He's got a striking advantage. He's got a wrestling advantage. He's got a durability advantage. He's got he's got probably advantages in every significant realm, right? Now you got to watch to wait for weigh-ins. I'm sure he'll make the weight, but because he balloons up so big between fights, like you want to just make sure he's in excellent shape. But yeah, this is a fight for him to win. The two dangerous things about Jordan Love is jiu-jitsu and his twerk game, right? Because you don't want to be losing to the guy that's fucking twerking on national television afterwards, man. Don't lose to this guy. I think Patty's got all the tools to so just keep it simple and win this is where we're disagreeing you seem very convicted you seem very set on patty's just gonna run right through him and finish him and i think patty wins every element of the fight but i'm leaning towards patty by decision which at plus 325 is a very generous price tag but um so here's the thing with Jordan Levitt, right? A couple things for Jordan Levitt. Jordan Levitt is risk adverse. So he's not looking to brawl. He's not looking himself put himself in bad positions. What he does is spam kicks from the outside, spam kicks from the outside, spam kicks from the outside, shoot a low single, shoot a low ankle pick, try to wrap you up, try to fall to the ground. He's just going to basically try to grab a hold of him and neutralize him. And if Patty Pimblett ends up on top of him, great, Patty's a fine grappler. But is his grappling so good that he's just going to pass guard, mount Jordan Leavitt and pound him out? Like, I don't think so. Jordan Levitt's very crafty. He's got long legs. Paddy will to mind his P's and Q's a little bit. If Paddy backs away and says, stand up, stand up, and Jordan Levitt stands back up, there's no guarantee that he won't just sit right back down or just go to spamming leg kicks and running away. If he was there to engage Paddy Pimblett, yeah, maybe he gets knocked out. Luigi Vendramini tried to fight Paddy Pimblett, ends up getting knocked out. If you end up just running away and tapping kicks and falling over to your backside like a lot of these guys end up surviving ryan hall ryan hall's not a good striker what he does is he spams kicks and then falls on his ass and looks at you it's like well i don't really want to go to the ground with him, so they don't ronnie yaya ronnie yaya does the same shit he spams kicks he'll throw wild shots the second they come in he sits on his ass these guys are hard to finish man because they just they fucking kill time off the clock They're, they're they're clock killers they will waste time you can beat them you beat them, but it's not always the easiest to put them away. So Patty wants a crazy, wild fight for his hometown crowd so he can go crazy and he can jump on the cage and he can celebrate a victory. And that's all well and good, but like Jordan Lehman's got one pro loss. It's by decision. He's never been finished as a pro or an amateur. He's a jiu-jitsu-based guy. He's at a syndicate MMA. He trains with all the best guys in the world. His gym's actually betting him. They're all super confident that his ground game's leaps and bounds better than Patty Pimblett's. So he's dangerous in the grappling department at the very least. Might cause Patty to... You know, hesitate about just diving on top of him with a series of punches. And so as a result, I just think it's one of these fights that ends up being more of a slog, and time slowly just ticks away at the clock, and Paddy Pimblett ends up winning. For sure, he wins, and he wins a decision. And at plus 325, the price is just too good to walk away from. But I, we, we both agree he wins this fight. The difference is I think you think Levitt's going to fight him, and then he's going to take him out. And I think Levitt is just going to be like, Rinky-dink kicks, rinky-dink kicks, <laughs> shit, takedown, fall to my back, lock something up, you know, n- positions that you just try to neutralize the guy as long as you can, like those kind of stuff, right?
0: He's gonna have JP Baze way himself into a decision like he did against Montel Jackson. Like I remember, like six, what was it, uh, four or five knockdowns that Montel Jackson got in that fight, and then he just kept getting wrapped up and just stalled out after that.
1: Yeah, you know what? So the I because I had Emily Decody last week on the prop show by decision at plus one sixty five, right? So first round, I'm like, oh, shit's looking pretty good. Second round, I'm like, I'm feeling pretty good about this, but you can tell that the legs starting to give out on Panay, and then the third round, she hobbles her right away with the leg kick, like. A minute into the third, you watch the fight, obviously, right? Yeah. Minute in, she hobbles her. It's like, I'm done. I got four minutes of one-legged Jessica Panay. What ends up happening, though, is Dakota, who's fought a very organic game plan at this point, a couple punches, and with the kick, is now sees tunnel vision. So she's like, <gasps> the leg. So now she doesn't throw anything other than leg kicks and comes forward. And Panay starts landing good right hands because it's like you completely change your entire game to like, at first I was just, Throwing leg kicks, you know, landing leg kicks. And then the second that you're like, their leg's done. It's like you stop throwing your one-two. You stop trying to set up the right hand. You stop trying to bait them in uh, to the the right roundhouse kick by setting up the left hook. Like, you forget everything else. You're just like, I need to kick the leg. I need to kick the leg. I need to kick the leg. You get away from what you do best, right? So it's not as easy as just like, oh, the person's hurt. I'm going to pound. Sometimes it's like you need to take your time these grapplers a lot of these high level grappler guys and i'm not saying levitt's super high level i really don't think he's all that high level but uh it's like they've got a knack for just like falling to their backside to get out of danger and then if you follow them to the ground then they'll just jiu-jitsu is a defensive art really at the end of the day that's like white belt one on one. when you get there it's like defend defend save yourself if you call the cops burglars in your house this is what jiu-jitsu is to me that's why i took jiu-jitsu for like six years I took it. But it was never about you need to go to a competition and choke somebody out. As if I call the cops, some dude broke into my house, and I'm like, yo, help. And the cops are like, we'll be there in 20 minutes. Could you survive for 20 minutes with an unarmed assailant in your house? What if he just got on top of you? Could you survive for 20 minutes? Fuck, man, that's a hell of a prospect, right? But it's all about I don't have to choke this guy, this burglar out. I just need to wrap him up and hold him for 20 minutes, which is difficult. Ask Anthony Smith. Not exactly the easiest thing to do, especially his burglar was uh, smoke some crystal meth and the dude was a two-time state placer in high school. So it's like it's a fucking hell of a burglar to break in your house. Um, but yeah, I think it, 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 it's, it's, it's defensive. It's just kill time. And I think that is what's going to lead to this decision for Patty Pimblett is the defensiveness of it.
0: Yeah, it is going to be interesting to see if he can finagle his way to that judges' scorecard. But I think with the heat that we're going to be seeing from Patty and the energy of the crowd and all that, it should hopefully will his way to a, to a KO victory. But we shall see. All right, let us move on to the next fight here. This is the Coleman event. And we got an interesting middleweight scrap here between Jack the Joker Hermanson, who uh, I'm seeing minus 105 now One, but we'll call this a pick em fight. He's going up, uh, up against uh, Cody's boy, Chris, the action man, Curtis, Interesting fight here. Uh, and toughest test of Chris Curtis's uh short UFC career, especially taking all of these fights on short notice up a weight class. Eventually, it's going to come, you know, bite him in the butt. And I think it's going to be this weekend where Jack Manson, being the bigger guy here, will likely have uh, you know, the obviously the size, the reach advantage. But I do think it's going to come down to his resting chops, which will allow him to get the win here. Now, it's interesting, right? Because comes into the UFC plus 280 underdog to Phil Hawes, you know. Takes a shit-kicking for about two minutes and then eventually uh, turns it around and finishes uh, 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 Phil Haas that night. Then the next fight comes in as another plus 260 underdog against Brendan Allen, survives that first round, eventually finishes him in that second round gets him out of there. Then the oddsmakers finally start to give him a little bit of respect, right? Give it, Make him a, a pick-em-line against Adolfo Vieira. And, you know, we know Vieira very sketchy wrestling game which is why he went 0 for 20 on takedown attempts that night and uh we saw chris curtis keep it up you know upright and that's obviously where he had the advantage where he could outstrike viera and get his hand raised that way but like you know doc or sorry not doc i always confuse Docus and Allen for some reason but Allen and and hawser are very flaky fighters in my opinion right cardio issues uh more often than not especially for the phil haas side uh brendan allen you know he never really fights to being a minus 350 even in his last fight against uh jacob malkoon big favorite sketchy decision there right jacob malkoon had some decent spots of his own there could have been an argument that he ended up winning that fight as well uh here against jack hamanson though jack's been fighting the top of the top over the last couple fights now and you know i know he's on a what is it? A uh, uh, one and two run in his last three fights. Both of those losses coming to Marvin Vittori and Sean Strickland in main event slots. He did manage to sandwich in a victory over Edmund Shabazzian where he picked it up in rounds two and three and really started to take over there. But I do think that like this is a perfectly tailor made matchup for him to go out there and showcase why he was you know a minus two eighty favorite against Jared Cannonier before he ended up getting neutered in that second round. I get it. Chris Curtis has power as well, but I think with the 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 size disparity that he's gonna be dealing with here. I don't think that power is gonna translate over against a guy like uh Jack Romanson, specifically Jack Romanson. I think Jack will be able to get his hands around him. I think he'll be able to get him to the ground. I don't know if he'll have, you know, tremendous amount of control time on the mat here, but I think his striking is good enough to hang with Chris on the feet. I don't think it's uh, you know, fish out of water situation with Jack. I think he can remain competitive with his output. Um, uh, you know, keeping him at bay, using that distance as best as possible. Sure, Chris Curtis will get off on combinations and really working the body, but I think he's going to struggle with that size and that range of Jack, which will ultimately, you know, anytime Chris tries to close that distance, I think we'll see Jack try to, you know, latch onto him, drag him to the ground, overpower him, outmuscle him, and, and control the majority of this fight so i i do like jack Romanson quite a lot here i think we're getting a great line i think we're getting that you know a little bit of a hype on the chris curtis side because of the the money train that he's been for a couple guys here but i think that this is a bad matchup for him uh i think this fight does go to a decision as well so even though over two and a half i think is a good spot i think we see this fight go the full 15 uh and even jack Romanson by decision currently sitting at plus 250 i don't mind that but just like the uh, Volkan Uzdemir bet from earlier in this card. I think the money line is fine. We don't need to get cute with the prop here. I think a money line stab on Jack Ramanson at even money is a solid spot. I'm sure to get some resistance here from my guy Cody. So I'm looking forward to hearing what he says. But before I do spin on over to you, let me just quickly drop what the uh, the cloud bet prop is for this matchup. Uh, will Jack Ramanson land a takedown? I'm surprised it's not an over-under. But will Jack Ramanson land a takedown currently sits at yes? For plus 110, sign me up for that. Cody, what are you thinking here?
1: Yeah, I think he might be able to get a takedown. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, listen, if, if it's going to be winner die by the takedown with Jack Hermanson, he's got 30% takedown accuracy in the UFC. He's not exactly like a super potent wrestler. Went 0 for 8 against Sean Strickland. You know, 3 for 6 against Edmund Shabazian after Shabazian gas. In the first round, he couldn't take him down. And as a result, he got boxed up in the first round. This guy's not a good striker. He shows volume. He shows big numbers. But those are all in fourth and fifth rounds. Against Sean Strickland, he landed like 75 or 80 strikes in the fourth and fifth. Those are off the table here, right? This is only a three-round fight. His fight with Jacare Souza, all of his numbers came in the fourth and fifth round. His fight with Marvin Vittori, all of his volume came in the fourth and fifth round. In a three-round fight, expect him to maybe average 60 significant strikes, maybe a couple takedowns sprinkled in the mix. It's not enough. Action Man's got excellent hips. He's tough good takedowns. Uh, you know Phil Haw's excellent wrestler. Phil Haw's never really committed, like never really shot through any of those takedowns. A lot of them are feints, but still, I mean, you know, over 3 technically by the numbers, but the Brandon Allen takedown, he hoisted him up in the air, slams him down, action man right back up. You know to 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 take on Vieira and go, oh, you know, 20 takedowns. Stuff all of them, end up on top on a couple of occasions. All impressive stuff. Again, Hermanson's not wrestling at an elite elite level. Here's the other thing to me, right, on a personal level. This is Jack Cromance, the guys that he fights. Uh Brad Scott, not a power puncher. Talus Latis, old-timey grappler. Jared Mearshart, grappler. Dave Branch, old-timey grappler. Jacques Ray Souza, old-timey grappler. Kelvin Gaslam, welterweight. Edmund Shabazian, young kid that actually beat him up for the first round. He's been fighting a whole lot of old-timey grapplers. Those are the guys he beats. The punchers, like... Well, Jared Cannonier and Tiago Santos, they got power. They both knock him out relatively easy. The guys that can strike, Marvin Vittori, Sean Strickland, well, they both outstruck him fairly easily. He's not striking with elite-level guys. He's not wrestling with elite-level guys. He's good at beating guys that are mediocre in certain departments of the game. This is only a three-round fight, so yeah, he's got good cardio. I don't expect him to flake and tire out like the other action man opponents, but still, I think he's going to get boxed up. Here's another interesting stat for you. So, of course, Tiago uh, Santos, huge power. We won't fault him for the knockout loss. Jerry Cannonier, huge power, so you know you don't fault him for the knockout loss. What about Marvin Vittori? Marvin Vittori's had 13 UFC fights, eight wins, never knocked out anybody. One knockdown in his entire 13 UFC fights, one knockdown over Jack Hermanson. Straight left hand down the pipe. Why? Because Marvin Vittori fights as a southpaw. Jack Hermanson doesn't fight particularly well against southpaws. What does Chris Curtis fight as? A southpaw. What's his best weapon? Straight left down the pipe. He's going to fucking catch him at some point point, knock him out. I know this is a dangerous fight for Action Man, considering it's at 185 pounds still. It's a top 15 guy. He's fought in main events. He's fought in good guys. You're taking the fight on a couple weeks' notice. You're going all the way to the UK to make it happen. It doesn't matter. It's a fist fight. It's a fist fight, and I got the king of combat. So Action Man, Chris Curtis, whenever you want to give me a plus money associated with this man, I'm going to take it. The thing is, is I wanted a better KO prop, right? The KO prop's only plus 195, and I tried to take the KO prop against uh, Vieira the last time, but what you saw with Action Man there is he's so concerned about the takedown, he's not looking to swarm, he's looking to counter. Against Jack Hermanson. Jack Hermanson typically does throw a high volume of takedowns, so it's possible that he's going to do the same thing and just try to sprawl and brawl him. If he sprawls and brawls him, then he'll win a decision. But if he wins a decision, it's plus 300. Price tag looks good. It's just, this goes back to, You're if you're watching the show right now, if you're a handicapper, if you're someone that's looking for information, you do your research, you watch the tape, you do all this stuff, you hear opinions, your brain tells you something, but at the end of the day, you go with what your heart tells you. You go with your own gut opinion. That is your responsibility. My gut, my heart tells me, action man is touching them lips, baby, straight left hand right across the middle. Going back to Jack Hermanson and his durability, he got knocked out. Knocked, or He got knocked down by Marvin Vittori. That's a bad look. Knocked out, of course, by Kanyer and Tiago Santos. And then his last fight against Sean Strickland. Sean Strickland beat him exclusively with the jab, which is another excellent weapon of the action man, is that jab. I think the lead hand jab is going to chew him up all night. But beyond that, at the end of the second round, Hermanson decides, you know what, i got to close the distance, and tries to step in. And it's a glancing blow, but he does hit the mat off a, off a counter left hand from uh, Sean Strickland. So... Yeah, I think it's going to be there. I think the opening is going to be there, and I think uh, it'll be the last time you get plus money on action, man, against guys that aren't in the top five or ten.
0: Interesting, interesting. I, I knew you were going to be going with Chris Curtis in the spot, but uh, you you definitely bring up some good points. Obviously, that knockdown to Marvin Vittori is a little bit of a concern, but I do think that also has to do a little bit it was with was hurt, the, too, man. If yeah, you watch it, it
1: again, he hits the deck, and then he rolls over and takes some ground-and-pound shots, and it's like Marvin's not a power puncher. The other thing with with Chris Curtis is he works the body a lot, right? So eventually you're like, why am I shitting blood? I can see it running down my leg, but like there's nothing I can do about it. And then pow, 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 your hands drop and he eats you to the head. So I've always been adamant. Chris Curtis is a third-round TKO kind of guy because all the fights I've ever watched him in, all the fights i ever supported him, all the fights we ever booked him in, he routinely would just hand you the opening round, the opening two rounds if it was a five-rounder, and always come on strong late. And then, weirdly enough, in his three UFC fights, he's got two first-round uh, first knockout. Brendan Allen, again, it was very early, gets a, uh, another quick finish. And then the Vieira fight, he didn't look good to me, but it was a six-month layoff. Action Man likes to fight every two months. This is Action Man's eighth fight in 16 months. Action Man is completing four-fight UFC deal is done. He's only been with the promotion for six months, right? Crazy. So, so yeah, that's when he's at his best. And this is a one-month turnaround for him. So I, I think you'll see a better version than you saw in the Vieira fight. And if you do, we're going to be good. And who's his chief sparring partner? Who's his cornerman? Who's his boy? Sean Strickland, right? Who has the blueprint on just stay to the outside, jab this guy's face off and stuff his takedowns? Sean Strickland. I think he'll fight a similar game plan. I'm just hoping he puts a little more heat on him than Strickland did.
0: All right, we'll see how it goes down. Ah, uh, big dissension here between me and Cody. I want to put like a, like a fucking, I, I, I would say a shoey bet, but I, again, I don't do shoes. That's that's just not me there too. But uh, we we have to come up with something for this prop new up show that we eventually. Uh, you know,
1: no, I know I would do <laughs> chewy, but you're not into that. We could do a beard challenge, but oh, I also I don't do think now. you're into that. <laughs> that one might be a religious thing, I don't think you're allowed to, so we'll scrap that one altogether. Uh, but yeah, we need some type of gimmick for at least we'll figure it out. Maybe,
0: maybe, maybe people in the comment section can drop some suggestions for us. Drop it in the comment section after the podcast wraps up so we can see it after the fact. And uh, we'll, we'll see. What I am coming.
1: going to send you a CJ MMA shirt, you are going to send me. An MMA lock of the night shirt, and I'll wear it on the Dogger <laughs> Pass podcast. If I lose, and you gotta wear my shirt and whatever, whatever great, I'll do it doing. the whole
0: week. Of my, yeah, there you go, there you go, I'll, I'll be cool
1: with that. Do you have a
0: CG MMA shirt, by the way?
1: I got mixed martial madness shirts, actually. But oh, I, just haven't I, done, I know they're sick, they're actually nice shirts too. But uh, I give you one of those all day, but uh, yeah, I like and I sure people always ask for Dogger Pass shirts, and people always ask for you know, various different things, and like, I should totally do it, but just so busy but that's why i always preach your game like you got the mad hustle going because like you you'll do merchandising and you'll you'll do fan questions and you'll do contests and like that stuff it's easy to turn a microphone on and camera and do a video and send it to somebody else to upload which is what i'm doing right now i'm gonna do shit you're doing everything but it's the it's the extracurriculars it's the getting people's email addresses and and Mm -hmm. mailing addresses and following up stuff and sending out newsletters and sending up updates and writing back every single dm you got like and that takes a whole different hustle, it right? So uh, what it's I need to guy. do is partner with a guy like you, which is essentially what we're doing right now. But uh, I need the ying to my yang. I'm more of a yang kind of guy. I need, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I need a little ying, you know what I'm saying?
0: It's all good. No worries. No worries. Uh, again, I'm looking forward to seeing what the comment section looks like after this and seeing what people suggest. I already see somebody with an uh, outrageous one saying loser has to buy the other a new car and a house. Yeah, we'll, we'll see about that. I ain't <laughs> on that Cody Safety payroll yet, but we'll, we'll see how it goes. Well, all even right.
1: nowadays, a house, like, it would have to be a house for ants. Because, <laughs> uh, because, like, in our area, this the Crazy. world, I guess, it doesn't matter what area you live in, yeah. like, shit
0: is nuts insane all right let us move on to the main event now uh, but shout out to the 240 live viewers that we currently have. Definitely upped it from the last time that we got. We keep breaking that barrier and breaking that record of uh, what the ceiling could be for live viewers here because I truly think we found a perfect time slot to do so. We appreciate every single one of you, even some of the ignorant motherfuckers in the live chat. I see you. It's all good. We appreciate you guys taking your time out of your day to look at us on your screen. So we really appreciate that. Make sure if you guys do fuck with us if you guys do support us make sure you guys hit that like and subscribe show the all star you guys appreciate us on their channel obviously quick shout out again to betonline.ag for sponsoring the show what are the best sports books on the planet in terms of mixed martial arts so if you guys want to sign up with them they'll give you a 50 percent welcome bonus as well Check that in the description below. And then obviously, check out Cloudbet, which obviously has a special prop bet on this upcoming fight that we're going to be talking about. So I'll talk about that very shortly. But if you want to take advantage of cloud, uh, Cloudbet as well, link is in the description bro- below. Great crypto sports book as well. All right, Cody, main event time. We got the toughest test that Tom Aspinall has yet to face. He's going up against uh, Curtis Blades here. And in terms of odds, the, the, the public is on the Tom Aspinall side, and I don't blame them, right? Minus 135 is where he's coming in at, plus 115, the return on Curtis Blades. There's always a certain point where hype overtakes skill and and stylistic matchups, right? Because if you, you know, I get it. Tom Aspinosa looked great. He's finishing guys. And I was big on the Alexander Volkov train last time around, and he shut me up pretty quick. You know, I wasn't expecting those types of takedowns coming from him, the way he timed them. It all looked very good. I, I expected Volkov to be able to control the distance a little bit better. And Tom Aspinall pretty much just cut through him like uh, like butter that night. It, it was very tough to watch uh, as a Volkov backer that night because I thought, oh, okay, he got back to his feet. Now we can get back to his bread and butter of just sticking with the striking, maintaining the range. And then Tom Aspinall was like, nah, dog. We're going right back to the ground and then he eventually locks up that submission and gets that win. So, you know, kudos to Tom Aspinall. He continues to prove me wrong. The one outlying issue I still have about him, I still think that the guy has a bit of a cardio issue. And if there's somebody that's going to extend him, it might be Curtis Blades, right? As long as he can stay away from the power of Tom Aspinall, he should be able to get his hands around him, probably drags him to the ground. And then from there, he should be able to assert that, that wrestling dominance that Curtis Blades is known for. The only two guys to put away... Uh, Curtis Blades, the heaviest hitters the UFC has ever seen inside the cage, uh, Derek Lewis and Francis Ngannou. Does Tom Aspinall match that type of power? I don't think so, but he matches the ability to knock somebody out given his speed, his footwork, and his timing because that is you know a large part of being able to knock somebody out, especially if you don't have godlike power like Francis Ngannou does. So th- there is that concern for me. That if Tom Aspinall lands clean enough on Curtis Blades early in this fight, he could put his lights up. That is the biggest concern for me, bar none. But I think that if Blades can get his wrestling going, can drag this fight to the ground and, and start grinding it out, I think we'll see those cardio issues of Tom Aspinall start to show themselves. I think we'll see his back a little bit flatter on the mat. I think we see him give up that half guard that side controlled that full mount and then i think from there we'll see curtis blades go to work from on top and get him out of there probably by the third round that is my official prediction third round tko by uh, curtis blades via ground and pound but in terms of my favorite bet for this fight it's got to be the under three and a half which is currently sitting at minus 175 that covers that aspinall early ko which i'm won't lie i'm scared about it, it could absolutely happen but Uh, I do think it's ultimately going to be blades that that drags him into this fight deeper into this fight, I should say, and then possibly gets him out of there even before we see that fourth bell go off here. So give me the under three and a half prediction is Curtis Blades, but uh, Aspinall burn me way too much that I am not officially betting against him here, but I'm kind of betting on him and against him uh, with this under three and a half bet. So. That would be my favorite prop. Curtis Blades also inside the distance, sorry by by TKO since at plus two fifteen. But again, cover both sides, take the under, and we should cash regardless of the outcome. What about yourself, Cody? Here, hey, are you are you fully on the Tom Aspinall train, or do you think that Curtis Blade uh, brings a screeching halt to this guy's run?
1: Yeah, I got the same concerns as you, same concerns as everybody, and I think that's why this would be a good live betting opportunity. I am going to go with Tom Aspinall. I think Tom Aspinall does land the KO, but. If this gets out of the first or second round, like you're saying, uh, you know, third round stoppage for Blade, if this thing goes a round or two, I'm pulling the chute 100% and betting Curtis Blades. Even if he's lost the first couple rounds, we know he can go five rounds. We know he's got the wrestling. We don't think Tom Aspinall can fight a heavy 25 minutes. He hasn't had to show it. Looked a little bit winded in the Arlovsky fight before submitting him. There's reason to doubt that he can fight a hard-fought 15, 20, 25 minutes. And then if the fight goes that long, Blades could take over for sure. But, Again, this is a card largely where there's not a lot of these. Uh, well, there's a lot of these spots where it's like I just got a feeling that the knockout's going to materialize, and this Tom Aspinall is another one of them. Listen, the guy's gigantic, right? He's six foot five, seventy-eight inch reach, seventy-eight inch reach. Sorry, with blades, blades generally fights. You know, big boys. He's always fought big guys, but he uses a lot of his own size and his own length to keep guys at bay. Now, we, of course, we know he's got the wrestling, right? The guy's got excellent wrestling, and he can take you down. Here's the problem with his wrestling for the most part is that he doesn't have a ton of top control. Like, he took down uh, Alexander Volkov 14 times, but the reason why he had to take him so many times was uh, Volkov was eventually just getting back up, getting back up, getting back up. In the fifth round, Blades is actually tired from shooting that many takedowns. So for Tom Aspino, we know he can box, former Tyson Fury sparring partner. You know, I had a think he one pro fight, but could have been a pro boxer. Guy's got great hands, but he's actually a BJJ black belt. His father is like, you know, a high level BJJ black belt, one of like the first in the UK. And the guy's very good on the ground. So even if he does get taken down by Blades, I think he's good enough to neutralize a lot of positions and work his way back up, but he's got to get his hands going. So as much as I think he could knock him out, I need Blades to fight a foolish game plan. And I think he will. And that's the reason I end up going with Tom Aspinall. If you look at Blades three fights back, he's fighting Derek Lewis. Okay, so... How are you going to approach a fight with Derrick Lewis? Well, one would have to assume you're just going to take him down, right? I mean, he shows about a 55% career takedown defense. Everybody who's wanted to take Derrick Lewis down has taken Derrick Lewis down. And, of course, why would anybody in their right mind want to stand in front and strike with Derrick Lewis, right? But Curtis Blaze goes 0 for 3 on takedowns in that fight. Doesn't really overly commit to anything. Instead, is cool with just staying to the outside and jabbing. Wins the first round doing it. Second round, Derrick Lewis steps right through the fire and smashes him, right? But it's Derek Lewis and he has big power. No, it was a bad game plan from Curtis Blades to stand with him. You should have tried to wrestle more. It's it's Derek Lewis. You mean to tell me you couldn't have taken him down? Over three, decided to stand, got knocked out. Now, that last fight with uh, Chris Daukus, um, All-Star gave us a prop. And it was like over four and a half or five and a half takedowns for Curtis Blades, right? It's the first time in like, his career where he shot zero. He shot No takedowns against Chris Daukis. Instead, he went out there and threw hands. And Doukas misses, but he misses by inches. He's getting entirely too close. And then Curtis Blaze ends up countering him the second round, knocking him out. Big knockout win. Grabs the mic afterwards and was like, bet y'all didn't think I could do that. You thought I was going to wrestle. You thought (laughs) I was going to wrestle. It's like, you're going to get yourself fucked up here pretty soon, homie. Because the guys that have beaten you, Derek Lewis, Francis Ngannou, the big power punchers, you don't want to stand with them. Your game is wrestling. He gets away from it. He tried to stand with Lewis. He got knocked out. He stood with Docus. It worked out. Now he's going to come in against Tom Aspinall, and I got a feeling that you know you fall in love with your hands. Oh, I got a knockout of the night last time, 50K bonus. So that was way more fun than when they booed me against Yerazino Rosenstruck because I lied on top of him for 15 minutes. Oh, I don't like getting booed. I like knocking guys out. So now you go in, and the crowd's nuts, and it's live, and it's like, I'm going to stand and bang. It's <laughs> like, it's not the move. It's not the move, but I think he's going to do it. And the last thing I want to say, because you know you're in the know, so maybe you can help me understand this one. Curtis Blades on record this week saying the UFC doubled my pay because I'm taking this fight on short notice. But why is the fight on short notice? Because Tom Aspinall was never booked to fight anybody else on this card. He was booked to fight on this card. So if Tom Aspinall's been trained to fight specifically on this date for X amount of time, and yet Curtis Blade is the only opponent offered up to him, the only opponent made official said the UFC had to double his money because he's taking the fight on short notice. So what kind of shape is he in, right? Is he going to push 25 minutes hard? Is his wrestling on point? Is he showing up just to throw hands? Uh, Is he compromised? Is this a setup from the UFC to get their next big action star over? Like... (sighs) Greasy, my man. Greasy. But, uh, yeah, I would, if I'm would i not stupid enough that I would hedge out. If my tickets at the end of the night were looking, like, deep, I don't think I'll put Tom Aspinall on my top ticket regardless, but let's say he was on my third line, the top two hit, the one below, two lines below were still in action, I could hedge out. I would hedge out. It's a hedgeable, a hedge-able main event. For sure. Live betting opportunity, definitely looking for a live betting opportunity. Close fight, for sure. But oh, yeah, got to end up on one side of it. I think Tommy Aspinall is going to clip him. So give me Aspinall by knockout, which is plus 155.
0: Well, one, just one slight rebuttal I just want to give in yep. regards to uh, Curtis Blades' uh, performance against uh, Derek Lewis. It seemed like in that fight he was just using the striking to kind of just wait to eventually shoot that takedown. Like I th- I don't think he wanted to rush it and then run into a strike and I, I think he did very good doing so, right? He was chopping up uh, Derek Lewis from the outside. He was actually winning that fight in the striking just by touching him up from the outside and staying safe at distance and then in the second round it seemed like he forced the takedown which ultimately got him knocked out. Like he forced he's like okay now i got to take him down now i'm not going to stand with the power and then he just shot on the wrong side and it was right on the power side of Derrick Lewis got hit with an uppercut and got put out that's what it was in my opinion i don't think it was more so like he he should have wrestled i think it was a decent game plan to just chop away at derrick lewis and if i was him you know seeing how much success he had in that first round stick with it keep you know keep your kicks keep derrick lewis at distance anytime he tries to move forward and try to blitz at you put that put that kick out there and touch him in the belly, keep him on the distance, and then just keep pitter-pattering him away uh, with his striking on the outside. That's the issue I think he had was he felt like he needed to force that takedown in the second round, which is ultimately why he ended up getting knocked out. I, I remember that clear as day because I had money on on the uh, blades inside the distance there. And I'm like, all right, you, you just stay on the outside. You're just going to eventually... Gas Derek Lewis out from just chopping away at him, and then you'll be able to get him out of there, but he just felt that need to get that takedown, and I think that was ultimately his demise. His reasoning behind striking with Chris Dalkis, I'm not sure. I felt like the takedown could have came a lot easier against Chris Dalkis, Um, because I don't think Dalkis has as much power as Derek Lewis, but it ended up working out for him. Hopefully, he doesn't bring that same confidence here against Tom Aspinall because I think he would get starched if he goes out there and tries to strike with him as well. I just don't think he's fast enough. I think Tom Aspinall will be able to close that distance let that land on that chin of his which is why like i am picking blades from a from a betting perspective because of the underdog money on a talent like that i think is just phenomenal plus all the other attributes of him being a great wrestler. I think he can impose those things, but I am scared, which is why I'd rather take the violence in the spot. And lastly, in regards to your query, in regards to uh, why Curtis Blades took this fight on short notice and took that double paycheck, it sounds like it was similar to what happened in that March UFC London card where they just couldn't settle on a main event and they pulled Alexander Volkov from a different fight and plugged him in against Tom Aspinall because they believe in the hype and the popularity that Tom Aspinall currently has. I think that they were probably trying to do Darren Till as Jack Manson as the main event, but still felt like the the card was you know lacking in a, in a sense, and then decided to add Aspinall in. I'm surprised that Blades is willing to risk it at, at this point, you know, taking the double uh, paycheck and and flying across the, the world to have this fight, but like there are legitimate questions about Tom Aspinosto that maybe Curtis Blades could find the answers to uh, whether it's pro or for against uh, his, his way of winning this fight. So Yeah, very interesting main event. A lot to dissect. Uh, You are on the Tom Aspinall side. I'm on the uh, Curtis Blades side, but I am going to kind of hedge out on that in terms of just taking the under rather than taking Curtis Blades as a straight-up bet here. Now, let's get into the cloud bet props, which, you know, one of them actually has to do with this main event, which is why I want to jump into it right here, and then we'll get into our three best bets, and then we'll wrap this thing up. Uh, Let me just share it here with you guys. So, obviously... Over-under takedowns on Curtis Blades. It sat at four and a half. What do you think, Cody?
1: Well, I think Aspinall melts him in first or second round, so it's uh, under four and a half for me.
0: There you go. I I would probably agree as well, because I also think that if he gets him down at least two or three times, he probably ground and pounds and finishes him before he even lands that fourth one as well uh now this is an interesting and new one that uh, cloudbet has added so they're adding a bit of a point system here so there's the first one is team barstool's performance and uh you have to get performance points essentially so a finish is 25 points a decision is 10 points and if they don't win at all it's zero so they have team barstool which is molly mccann and patty pimblett over twenty five and a half or under twenty five and a half performance points, which basically means if one of them lose, you lose, right? Yeah, well, well,
1: I mean, I'm looking at the over because I think both of them win. In that, you know, you think Patty Pimble going to get an easy stoppage, and I think Molly McCann could get a stoppage. But yeah, no, the the, the picks I gave out on this card or on the show, and I'm going to stick by them was I took both of them by decision, which hits me at the under, right? So I would go the under. It doesn't look pretty. It doesn't look sexy. But, um, yeah, yeah, I would I would think I would take the under for that performance.
0: There you go. Under, uh, 22 and a half, caches you, or sorry, 25 and a half catches you plus 110. Uh, now the same thing, but what Team Great Britain, there's nine fighters that are representing Great Britain here, and they've set it at 133 and a half. Um, I wish they listed the fighters here as well, but... We can yeah, you'd have at, you'd um, have to break it down. So it's Jai that, Herbert. Jai okay, Herbert. Okay, so think?
1: let's say Jai Herbert's getting 25.
0: All right, uh, uh, Mohamed Makayev.
1: I mean, he might get zero, but let, let's say he gets 10. Let's say he gets 10, you're at 35.
0: Nathaniel Wood.
1: Mm, probably ends up with another 10, 40.
0: Marty Casey.
1: Marty Casey probably ends up with another 10 if he just goes out the wrestling route. You got 50 points here. Holly McCann. Well, I can't decision, 60 points.
0: Eddie Let's be
1: generous and say you're right on this one, right? Well and that puts you to 85 points. He gets a British.
0: Uh, and then uh, Tom Aspinall. Yeah, okay. So if Aspinall
1: melts him, you're still hitting an under on this one, right? And 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 it's gonna be a close fight. So yeah, the under looks pretty good on that for sure.
0: So there is nine. I, I am possibly missing out on two Great Britain uh, countries here. Would they what they consider uh, Wales to be a part of Great Britain? Anybody yeah,
1: the, uh... yeah. Wales would definitely be a part of Great Britain, and
0: then and then Scotland. To think what the last one. Oh, okay, Scotland as well. Yeah. There you go. Paul Craig and Mason Jones add those to the total.
1: Yeah, so I think I think Mason Jones wins, you know, what I believe to be a decision. Uh, and then I think Paul Craig loses. So even if you were to add another 10 points from Jones. And, like, even if you got lucky, let's say you went Jay Herbert, you know, Makayev, I think that was a decision. Let's say Nathaniel Wood does get the win. You're looking at 50 points there. got a lot of decisions after that right patty Pimble gets one you're looking at 75 and aspinall got one you're looking at you got four finishes right there and they're gonna match up for 100 points you you would still need four more fighters to all win decisions a couple of them lose this thing ain't hitting right so you need almost all of them to win they almost universally all nine of them would need to probably win and you would need at least four finishes within that mix so a lot easier said than done. But go, I will gonna say under. this:
0: I'm going to go with the under 133 and a half.
1: There. I, I got the under as well, but I will say the last time they went to the UK, Makayev won, so they went one and one. Elise Reed beat Corey McKenna, so they're one and one there. Jack Shore won two and one. Paul Craig three and one. Uh, Grundy lost three and two. Jay Herbert lost three and three. I guess it wasn't a route. Molly McCann won four and three. Patty won five and three. Arnold Allen won six and three. Tom Aspinall won. They went seven and three the last time on ten fights. This is nine fights. Plausible that they'll go seven and two, right? Yeah. So of those seven wins, Which you got seven decisions. You're yeah, you you need you need five, five decisions, two finishes at a bare minimum. Like, I don't know if you get there. I, I got the under, you got the under. I think the under looks good.
0: I like it. All right. Total takedowns on the card over under 33 and a half. We usually get these big numbers for the takedowns uh, and they don't normally come close at all. Right? Like I remember one of them was like over under 26 and a half takedowns and we only got like nine that one time, but we do have a lot of takedown oriented fighters on this card. So what, where does your math put you here? What are you thinking?
1: Okay. So let's say the Dolby fight versus Claudio produces uh Two and Victor Leonardo produces another one. Nothing other. J Herbert, you're looking at three. Makayev could get five. Right, puts you to eight. Macwan Amir Connie versus Jonathan Jonathan Pierce. There could be three three aside. It could be three guys three for Macwan, two for Jonathan Pierce. Right. Maybe looking at maybe thirteen. Nathaniel Wood could run that thirteen up to twenty-seven if he felt like it. Right, <laughs> but but more
0: than let's likely, let's say two.
1: Let's say two. yeah. Let's say two is all he needs yeah. here. Moves you to fifteen. Dia Casey's in the same boat. He could get, he yeah. could rack up another five and yeah. put you to a, uh, you know, you're, yeah, Mason Jones might have a couple takedowns. Volcan's going to – up uh, Paul will try and not get them. Molly might rack up some takedowns. I think Gus is – I think that's going to be the game plan. It's going to look to grapple. Jordan Levitt will die trying, right? Patty Pimblett <laughs> might – I've seen this before. A guy shoots a takedown, the other guy stuffs it, and they fall to the ground, and Buddy ends up on top, and they'll they give you a takedown because it's like, when well, he took the guy down, it's like, not really. You kind of lost his – but they'll score it for you. So Levitt versus Pimblett probably produces – Jack's gonna damn sure try. I don't I think, think Chris had these two, but he, might, he, but he might. But he might squeak out two out of that. And yeah. Blades should try and could rack up five. So the under has been crushing it the last couple times. But you've got. Wrestlers on this card, and you've got uh wrestlers that traditionally score lots of takedowns. Yeah, you know, yeah. the Tim Elliotts of the world, guys that'll go get ten, even though they only got three minutes of top control out of the ten. You got that on this card, so I would be inclined to lean the over on that
0: one. I like. I'm actually gonna be uh be right there with you as well. Over thirty three and a half takedowns on the total card. Right that with you. All right, fight of the night, Cody. What are you thinking? Where are you leaning here? fight Again, of the night this, and this is this
1: is of the main card or is this is the entire it's a full card full card full card fight of the night i am going to go with <sighs> like i'm i'm very tempted to take Mac or uh, Hannah Goldie versus Melania McCann, because <laughs> like I know, I know the crowd's gonna be wild, and I know it's just gonna be a sloppy tussle. You know, they're just these girls are just gonna throw it in, and, and yeah. the crowd's gonna be drinking, and it's gonna be a good time. Whereas like Blades could look to wrestle Charles Johnson versus Makayev could be an excellent fight, yeah. but nobody ever really gives the flyweights a lot. That's a lie. You know what? Last week Matt Schnell got fight of the night. Yep, uh, crazy good fight with Sumedhirji representing the flyweights. I'll go with McHive, Charles Johnson at plus
0: 1,200. Yeah, I'm going to split mine between that one and Klein and Jones because I think that the way just Jones fights, it always yeah, you're Yeah, fight.
1: you're right about that one.
0: Both of those at plus 1,200. I think it's worth a shot. I think even Nelson and Herbert could sneak in there if uh, at least Nelson can get a knockdown or two. Um, but uh, yeah, I think those two that we just picked with Johnson, McHive, as well as Klein, Jones is a, is a good spot. Yeah, All right, well,
1: uh, the reason why um, I, I didn't end up going that route is, yeah, you're looking for like, you know, Chanel took a beat and then came back and got the face. Yeah. That's what makes it exciting, right? If Herbert lands on Nelson, he's putting him out. If Nelson yeah. lands on Herbert, he's probably putting him out too. So like, it could be a first round knockout where the fans will love it and someone will get 50,000 for a KO of the night, mm. but it ain't competitive enough to be a fight of the night. Same thing with Volcan Newsmere Paul Craig. It's like, I think it's going to be a really fun fight. Yeah. I think Volkan could also just knock him out in the first three minutes <laughs> yeah. and that'd be the end of it, right? Like, I need you to go to war, I need you to go back and forth. Tit for tat. Makai is a fan favorite, so the crowd will be popping for him. Dana loves slipping these young kids the extra 50 Gs because he knows it's big money for them. And, uh, you know, just it's good for the cause, really. And Charles Johnson, Charles Johnson, I said this yesterday on the Dogger Pass. He's flyweight action man. 31 years old, seasoned vet, begging to come to the UFC. Should have been here years ago, right? Or at least a few fights ago. And now that they're bringing him in against a hot prospect, it's like, oh, I never heard of him. He's probably no good. It's like, he's actually really good, really good. And older, not prone to make the same mistakes. He's 10 years older than Micaiah, which is usually not a good thing. And then you consider was well, only 31 years old. He's yeah. still in the prime of his career. So that's actually an advantage, the 10 years. It'd be a good scrap, a good proper scrap. Now plus 1,200, I could see that coming.
0: There you go. And then fastest finish on the main card. I'm going to go with Volkan Uzdemir at plus 650. But what are you feeling?
1: Yeah, I would say Volkay and me as well. If I want to split it, I would say Volkan and Tom Aspinall. I think both of them have potential to land a first-round KO. You liked Paddy. I didn't care as much for it. Krylov, possible, but Gus would have to be very shot. Chris Curtis is going to take his time. Levit ain't finishing a sandwich. Um, well, unless it's an inverted triangle over a Matt Sales sandwich because, like, that guy's just <laughs> not good. By the way, did I mention earlier he choked out Kyle Nelson? <laughs> like, what the fuck? Anyways, anyways, we'll have to see how the fight shake up. But, uh, yeah, fastest finish. I'm going to have to piggyback on with you on now. Actually, let's let's be different. You got Volkan. Yeah. I got Tom. And if go. any one of us hits, we're profitable on
0: the night, right? Exactly, and we can beat our chest next week. That's fine. <laughs> All right, let's get to the three best prop bets, and then we'll sign off here. I'll kick things off as I usually do first prop that i like the most is the under three and a half in the main event blades versus aspinall minus 175 a little bit chalky there but i do think we see a finish i'd be surprised if this fight even hits the fourth round uh yeah hopefully it's a blades finish so i can uh, pout my chest a little bit about calling blades but uh either way i'll be cashing a ticket uh, as long as this fight finishes under three and a half. Second up on jack Manson via decision at plus 250 Mm. grappling will be the difference maker here i do think he's big enough and he has the technical wrestling abilities to give chris curtis trouble uh as long as he uh his chin and his durability is good i think he'll have more than enough opportunities to get his hands around curtis drag him to the ground and just control him he he is one of those guys that does look to finish on the ground but chris curtis is very difficult to put away um yeah, I'll go Hermanson, Hermanson by decision, plus 250. Lastly, and this one will trickle right into Cody's top three best prop bets. Volkan by KO. I, again, I don't like picking the same as Cody is sometimes, but uh, usually I come up with my own, and then Cody sends me his, and then I usually try to swap some out if we have more than one that are the same. But I love this one so much because I got a ton of money on Volkan Uzumir this weekend, uh, specifically on that, well, specifically on his money line, but I do have some sprinkles on his KO line here at plus 130, so I need to break it down again. We know he has a distinct uh, striking advantage. I know he has the power to do so. If he can find that chin, I think he puts him out. to Uzdemir, KO, plus 130. Cody, let's roll it into yours. Well, what are your quick thoughts on Uzdemir by KO, considering it's one of your three best prop bets?
1: Yeah, I think he gets it done. I think if you want to get a little bit greedy, you could chase that first round finish prop, which I think is plus 250, which is another good price tag on that. But yeah, I just think Paul Craig knows what he's got to do, and let's drag this fight to the ground. And The higher level you go, eventually your ruck's going to run out luck's gonna run out. I think Volcan is, is gonna be there to uh, capitalize. So you agree, I agree. The only thing I would change to make a different is maybe if I wanted more than the 130, I uh, might be inclined to chase the uh the the over and sorry the uh the first round KO. Also you might be able to go like under one and a half because either Paul Craig snacks something up or uh Volcan catches him but I just don't think this thing's gonna go that long.
0: Uh quick shout out to our guy Kieran Armstrong here joining us from midnight from Scotland. Appreciate the love and, and support, my friend. Hopefully uh, – I apologize for picking against – both of us picking against the guy, Paul Craig, there. But, you know, money is all that matters at the end of the day.
1: <laughs> well, I'll have you know, you know, I did pick against Paul Craig, but I at least knew that Scotland was a part of Great Britain. I don't
0: like <laughs> hey, Henry, he he don't mean, it. Who's the other two guys? Who's <laughs> the other two guys? All I'm saying – all I'm saying. Screw you. No, Screw you, Cody. A little bit better at geography than me. <laughs> I'm, 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 kidding. I'm kidding. All right, get, get um, into your next one. Get into your
1: next one. Yeah, we're going to go Nicholas Dolby. It felt like we talked like that fight with ages ago. <laughs> it was, like, I
0: know. Uh, <laughs>
1: Dolby my decision. Listen, I mean, with Claudio Silva, it's rinse and repeat. The guy's going to get tired. He's going to flop to his back. Similar to guys, uh, Jordan Lovett, I think he's risk adverse. Like once he flops to his back, he's not going to get finished. He's just not going to put himself in harm's way. That'll uh, kill time off the clock. And eventually, we're going to hit that Dolby plus 155. Rounding things up, let's take a shot on here. Patty Pimblet plus 375 by decision. Uh, I think Paddy Pimblet has his way anything he wants. It goes back to that style of jiu jitsu. These guys are risk adverse, they're looking to just take their time. I felt really good about this one until I talked to my boy Manpreet Jahaz, who's trying to tell me that Paddy Pimblet is caught Rachmanov. And I've got <laughs> no chance of making it 15 minutes. But, you know, I'm hoping we're both right. Paddy wins this fight easy. I'm hoping he's a tad bit wrong patty just dominates for a 30 26 for all I care 30 25 for all I care just uh survive the decision Jordan love it. and then a plus 375 for Patty Pimlet by decision would be a very very nice
0: there you guys go top three best prop bets for UFC London from me and Cody hope you guys enjoyed the two hours and 15 minutes that we went for you guys here breaking down this 14 fight main or 14 fight card uh Cody I'll swing it on over to you one last time before we sign off here anything you want to say to the fans you know what,
1: I am i won't waste your time. I'm going to end this. Uh, and then and then Bellator preview, baby. This is a good-looking Bellator card because it's got tons of parlay material. And uh, honestly, it's a good-looking card. So I'll break it down. I think I sniffed out two pie shitters. If we can avoid them, use the key pieces. This UFC's got 14 fights. Use the key pieces. I got to work KSW at Fight Network on Saturday. So, like, I'll be at the office during the UFC because uh, UFC starts at 12. KSW starts at 1. There's so much MMA going on this weekend. So it's like much. we can really tailor-made the nice plays, the good parlays, the juicy props. So uh, it you know what? It felt like we talked uh, about Dolby a long time ago, but it hasn't feel like you and I have been talking a while. It's always my pleasure, my my friend. So hit me up uh, on Twitter, at CJ Saptic, if you need anything. Other than that, hit Manpreet out. He could definitely deliver the message to me. And uh, yeah, man, looking forward. This would be a good bounce-back weekend for us, I think.
0: There you guys go. I know a lot of people asking about Cody's uh, PRP for Bellator. I'm sure he's going to post that as soon as he's done his Bellator research. So make sure you guys keep an eye on his Twitter account. Once again, that's at CJ Uh And for myself, I'll be back tomorrow for the Ultimate Wayne Show. Like somebody has been saying in the comment section, with my guy Uncle Weezy, it's been too long since I've spoken to him. So if you guys want to hear me and Uncle Weezy break the fights down, it'll likely be tomorrow at 5 p.m. Eastern. Uh, ceremonial wins go down at noon Eastern tomorrow, uh, and I believe official wins start at 5. AM tomorrow morning, uh, less than uh, 12 hours from now uh, for anybody that wants to stay up and watch those as well. So keep that in mind. All right. On behalf of myself and Cody, we really appreciate everybody banging with us on this Thursday afternoon, almost Thursday evening now. 220 of you guys still with us make sure you guys hit that like and subscribe if you haven't already and we will see you guys again next week for the big ufc 277 card headline by two title fights can't wait to break it down with cody and can't wait to break it down for all of you guys as well hopefully we can hit 300 live viewers next week that's the goal we're going to be setting for ourselves to continue this growing on a week-to-week basis and lastly Make sure, as soon as this dra- uh, wraps up, drop some punishments that me and Cody can can have for each other and in case we ever have bets uh, against each other like that we feel convicted about, right? Hermanson versus Curtis would be a great one to do it for. Uh, but drop some punishments in the comment section below this video and let us know what you guys want, to, want us to do. I'm not a Shui Vasa guy. I'm not doing that stuff. <laughs> Give us some other more uh, original ideas and we'll look to try to bring those to fruition. All right. Appreciate you guys. Good luck on your best this weekend. And we'll see you guys again next week. War, Volkan, Uzdemir. Let's go.